0: You're listening to Magrito Podcast Network, celebrating the culture of Chicanos and Latinos one story and voice at a time. Connect on social on Instagram and Facebook at magrito. Find all the Magrito Podcast Network shows over at magrito.net.
1: you for tuning in to another episode of the Emo Brown, the Saddest Mexican Broadcast. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Grasshopper for your medicinal, recreational, and oh, your cannabis needs. Grasshopper, they got you. GBHBuds.com, they got you. G, All the things. GHBuds, get it. This is a podcast brought to you by Maigrito Industries. Oh, shit. I still got to get used to saying stuff like that. And with us today on the podcast... Not Somebody cool. I just met, dog. Mm-hmm. I just met this dude, but your name's been thrown around all over <laughs> social media, yeah. and everyone's like, "You gotta talk, to Juan. You gotta meet Juan. You gotta." And we finally got an opportunity to meet this weekend. Yes, we he did. had a pop up at the brewery. He had an event with a local rock star. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, Juan Muniz, alias El Nirvana. <laughs> Thank you, cracking, thank you, man! Thank you for having me, brother. I'm just excited to be here. I'm super happy. You're from Tijuana. You're in Vegas, but you came back to the hood for the last couple of weekends in in last yeah. last month, no? Yeah, honestly. Was, so I was born in Tijuana. You know, I was uh, my family comes from Jalisco, and
0: I was uh, I was born in Tijuana. We and I was raised in San Diego for the first year after we got our green card. We actually would travel from Tijuana at three in the morning, jump on the trolley, go all the way to like La Doce, and then go up to like Euclid. And my 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 school is Horton Elementary and so we would go there for an entire year and after that i i we started going to uh, gompers you know and then my my brothers my my older brother and my older sister would go to lincoln you know when we went to gompers everybody's like man that school is harsh and then my the middle sister the one in the middle she was like yeah, I'm not doing, I'm not doing Gompers. <laughs> she was like, I'm going to take the trolley and I'm going to go to San Diego High. Uh-huh. So she went Those to Those like, cavers. Yeah, so she went down there and I was like, I'll stay at Gompers. And everybody was telling me, it was like, whatever you do when you go to Gompers, don't go to the basketball courts because that's where all the fights happen. And that's where I was every day because yeah. that's where we played soccer. So, you know, now with everything that's going on, I was able, you know, we moved to Vegas in 1998 which was something that I didn't technically wanted to do, but I was getting in trouble. You know, I was rolling with gangs out here. You know, I, my job as the gang member was uh, to tag little characters cause I was always drawing. Luckily it was good because I'm not big enough to fight. So I was, <laughs> I was always drawing and um, you know, I moved to Vegas, went to high school out there. I was actually playing soccer and um, I got a scholarship to UCSD on uh, my time. senior year. Uh, but soccer season is like the beginning of the school year. And after the season ended, we won state champions in in Vegas. And the next week I was in weight training class. Season was over. I had my scholarship. I'm like, cool. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go back to Vegas. But I ditched class because another class was playing soccer and I went out there, you know, I'm playing goalie. I'm up in the air. I got pushed, landed on my ankle, cracked it. So there goes my scholarship.
1: Bro, no manches. Yeah. I could have been talking to Juan Muniz, an MLS I superstar. Know, man, dude. I, and it's crazy because a lot of my
0: friends uh, ended up playing for like the US team. Uh-huh, a uh-huh. couple of them played for Mexico. A couple of them was for, like, went overseas and played in Europe. And they had great careers. And I was like, I, I was kind of bummed out. But the one thing that I always did was draw. You know, it was like, I it, that was my therapy. And that's what I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an artist. Uh, there was a, a drawing that I did when I was in third grade. And I remember going through my, my mom's stuff and I was like, Man, I, I found this drawing and it said, I want to be an animator. And when I graduated high school, um, because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't go play soccer anymore, I applied for a school in Arizona that's owned by DreamWorks Animation. Oh, nice. And I got accepted uh, twice. <laughs> I got accepted early on my junior year and then I got accepted again on my senior year. Uh, the, the crazy part is that my family was always like, ah, oh, you're too Americanized. I was like, why are you leaving your family? I'm like, you know, after high school, I'm like, cause that's what you do. You go to college. And they kind of got mad because I was living the quote unquote, the American dream. You know, I wanted- So they didn't
1: want you to live the American dream? Nah, you know, it's like they, you know,
0: with, with our family, the way it was, it was like, I have an older brother, an older brother, two older sisters. Uh When my dad wasn't around cause he was working in the United States where we were living in Mexico. My brother became the man of the family at a very young age. So it was, it, it's very like, you know, you stay at home, you take care of your family and that's about it. And everybody else grew up like that. But because I was the youngest, um, I was able to like, you know, l- live this life that I, that I kind of fantasized about by going to college. And I was super excited and happy because it was really hard to get into the school. And I had a full scholarship and, uh, my mom was actually really, really mad. She didn't believe that I was leaving until the day that I was already packed Going out the door and serio? yeah, they got they got. Damn, success. how
1: do you pull that on a Mexican mom, bro? That's hardcore. Uh, a, a lot of guilt trips. <laughs> I don't uh, doubt it. You yeah, ah, you're Catholic too. Well done, no, bro. You know
0: <laughs> and then uh, you know, went to Arizona, went to school out there, uh, got my degree in animation, and um, you know, I was actually going to stay out there and get a you know get a, a bachelor's on graphic design, and. During that time, my whole family was kind of like yelling at me, you know, guilt trips. And they were like, dude, and I was broke. And he was like, hey, come. My brother's like, if you come back, uh, school's always like, if you come back tomorrow, I'll give you $1,000. Now, being a college student, like eating like top ramen, like every day. And, Maruchan, yeah, bro. You know? And the shrimp one. That's all <laughs> the one I always did. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was like, you know what? I, I'll go back. So I went back to Vegas, uh, started working just retail. At the same time, I started apprenticing the tattoo. Uh, It was traditional old school, like apprenticeship, like old school bikers, you don't pay to apprenticeship, you work it off. So I'm working like 18 hours a day, seven days a week. And just, I learned to tattoo and I I was doing it for a while. Working at your craft, perfecting it, cutting your teeth. But the problem was that once I got my license to tattoo, I was actually pretty good at it, but I had so much respect. I'm old school in everything that I do. So it's like, I see tattooing as, you know, not just a job, like it's a lifestyle. And if you do not have enough respect for it to you live and breathe it every day, then you should walk away from it because you're permanently marking people and every person deserves the best from you. I was good at it, but I didn't have the passion for it. And I realized I was like, you know what? I like creating characters because after I got my degree in animation, I realized I don't like animation because I thought doing animation when I was a kid, I was like, oh, I want to grow up and create like Simba. And when I went to school for animation, I found out like, oh, the way it works is you don't, one person doesn't create Simba. You're in a room with a bunch of artists. The art director comes in. They kind of tell you the specs of what they want you to design. So everybody starts drawing. So the the art director is like, I like that foot. I like that leg. I like, so you kind of puzzle it together from everybody that does the art. So you can't really say you draw Simba. You could be like, I draw Simba's foot. So I realized, you know what? I like character design. And I started working on, you know, just doing little drawings and just creating characters, very like graffiti style characters that kind of led to me getting involved in the arts community in
1: Vegas. So you went from actually drawing when you were little to pursuing an education in this field, getting your degree, putting it to functional use in a tattoo parlor by getting an apprenticeship under a tattoo owner, Mm -hmm. a business owner, to leaving that. Bro, you set up your foundation like I'm, I'm, I'm actually pulling off and, you know, like. I didn't know. I actually told this to my fiance yesterday.
0: I was like everything that I've done yeah. my entire life from the moment that I was a kid to now to the things that I study, the things that I love, the things that I, the things that I acknowledge, the things that I'm obsessed with um, made me the person that I am today. Yeah. And now I'm taking all these tools and everything that I put together to create the artwork that I created, you know, and it's, uh, when I got interviewed by that magazine, they were like, well, what'd you call your style? And I was like, you know, it's like, It's a mixture of everything. So it's like a cluster of everything. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to call it cluster pop. So that's my (laughs) stuff. That's a great name too. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, from all that stuff, I was creating characters. I was getting involved in the arts district in Vegas. And I had this, there's this artist named Danny Roberts, who was, he was like one of those grandmasters, like in Vegas, like he's like legendary and kind of stuff. And he invited him to one of my shows. I came to my show, looked around and I'm like, man, it's like a celebrity in here. He's looking at my stuff. It means the world to me. And he was like, hey, do you want to have like lunch tomorrow? I was like, yeah. So he invites me to lunch and he tells me, and very kindly, he says, you know what? I, I like your style. Your, your, your style. your stuff is very good. I don't remember anything when I leave your show. Because I, I wasn't saying anything. I wasn't sharing any messages. I wasn't talking about anything. I was just doing characters. And he was like, why don't you try this? Make one character, like your next show, create one character share these stories that are personal with you through this character and if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't just try it give your character an arc yeah. Yeah, a story so like, a personality because i grew up with drawing like cartoons like bugs bunny and stuff like that i was like okay i'm going to do this little bunny character but i'm not going to give him a face it's going to be almost like a mask with two holes for an eyes and i'm going to make it personal you know at that time i was newly married and you know it wasn't going well and there was a lot of stress you know she was pregnant with our first child and i'm like I was just, I was like, okay, I'm going to go personal on the show. If nobody gets it, nobody gets it. So I created this bunny character and I just made the entire show super personal. By the end of the night, the show sold out. Oof. And it, I was like blown away. And I am, there was there's this one gallery owner in Vegas that just opened up the most beautiful gallery in the arts district. And I messaged him. This is my space days. And I messaged him and I was like, I invited him to the show. Two seconds later, he declined the invitation.
1: No man. So I'm at the show. Hey, at least he responded, bro. Yeah. <laughs>
0: but well, so I'm at the show and I like I don't like doing things small. Like mm. I don't want to be like just put stuff on the wall. I wanted to like have an event. So I had like DJs in the front, girls getting body paint, inviting my friends. I'm like, hey, you know, come play, you know, set up a booth in like the other room and whatever. So by the end of the night, um, the owner of that gallery was like, Hey, Brett, the other guy that said no. He's like, he just walked in. I'm like, oh damn. So I go introduce myself. He was like, I I like your stuff, man. I was like, I know I invited you. You kind of said no. He's like, I didn't know who you were. No, but no. He was like, so he had me explain every single painting. And he was like, he ends up buying like seven of them. And during that time, he was like, man, I want you to bring you to my gallery. I was like, cool. Before that, I was like, I have another show in LA. Because when I was doing all these shows, I was getting started you know the juxtap- what goes into setting up a show. Um, you know what? To me, it's different for everybody. I guess to me, it sounds was- like you
1: really like the, the 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 party scene I atmosphere. Like, it, I like creating an
0: experience. Uh-huh. It's it's more of like, look the to me the art is there. I want people to enjoy it, but I don't want them to just walk in and out because there's a lot of shows that I would, you know people walk in, and look at the stuff, you know, drink the wine and cheese and leave. I'm like, dude, I want to throw a party. I want to make an experience for people. So ignorance is bliss, and honestly, because I didn't know how to do things, I just did it on my own.
1: But that's when like your true personality shows yeah. and rises to the front, man.
0: And I, I you're not working show, off a template,
1: yeah. and I was, and I didn't know a template existed. Yeah. So when when I was doing all these
0: things, all of a sudden it's like. I, I when, uh, Juxtapose Magazine did a, we, I did a show in San Francisco. I got invited mm-hmm. to do this group show and, you know, I was, I'm, I'm driving to San Francisco, putting up myself in like the crappiest hotels, like, but nobody needed to see that. They just saw it was like, oh man, he's, he's doing shows in San Francisco now. So I did the show out there. It was one painting. I spent so much money I didn't have just going out there, you know, driving to San Francisco from San Diego, or from Vegas. It's like 10 hours. So we went out there, uh, sold the one painting, you know, and it, and it was a lot of fun, but, the magazine juxtaposed did the flyer for the show and my name was in the flyer. So I was like, I kept that magazine. And there was this guy who would come around the tattoo shop at the time where I worked. He would sell us art supplies that fell off the back of a truck. Mm. And he was like, he saw that. And he was like, man, he was like, you should really apply for this gallery called Luz de Jesus in LA. I'm like, what is that? He's like, dude, that's like the, the Mecca for like lowbrow art for the world. Like some of the biggest artists show there. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Again, I didn't know like how hard it was to get in there. So I just emailed them and I was like, hi, my name is Juan Muniz. This is my art. I'd love to show at your gallery if there's a chance. They're like, look, we do a show called Everything But The Kitchen Sink every year. It's our yearly juried show. Um, You know, we have 10,000 applicants all over the world that apply for this show. Some people get one or two paintings in the show. Submit for it. I'm like, cool, perfect. I submitted for it. They accepted five.
1: Oh, shit.
0: Exactly. So I'm like, okay, cool. But again, ignorance. I didn't know what that meant. And I go down there, um and I remember. It's the, better not
1: to know, yeah, uh, not and to know. the real. It's better it just kind of like to go through life yeah. and just wait for opportunity. Obviously, like, a lot goes into yeah. creating those opportunities. One, yeah, a lot, a lot goes lot into creating work. this. Yeah, so you were you were building and an empire before you even knew it. I j- I just wanted to share my art, and now with
0: with the character, uh, the, the the bunny character, it was um I was able to do this with the, the show, and but I've never been to L.A., never been to Hollywood. Never been to that area. So I, I told my ex, I was like, hey, let's go to Six Flags. Like the day before the show, the preview Thursday. And I was like, okay. We went, I'm at Six Flags. I'm on a ride and I'm looking at like the, the website and I'm looking at my paintings and all that stuff and the paintings of the show. But all the name, like all all of them had like red letters on it. And I don't know, what, I didn't know what that meant. On Friday, I go to the show and I get there super early. And, and I get there and I'm just like, there's red dots on all of my paintings. I had no idea what that meant. And I looked at the gallery manager guy and I was like, hey man, did I do something wrong or something? Cause there's red dots on all my paintings. And he just smiled and he was like, dude, that means you're sold out. You're new here, aren't you? <laughs> he was like, you're sold. I was like, what? He was like, yeah. I'm like, dude, that's like $2,000. And he was like, yeah. I'm like, do I get do I get paid now? He's like, no, I guess I get a check cut and all that stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. What I didn't know is that the way that show works is the the top three people that sell the most and sell the fastest, then they become part of that gallery. And then not only that, you get a full write-up
1: on LA Weekly. I didn't know what LA Weekly meant. As an artist, is that is that like a new level to unlock? Is that something you it aspire to? Because LA Weekly is like the
0: Bible for LA. No. Nice. Like anything and everything goes through LA Weekly. So when they did the story on me, all of a sudden it's like, oh, now you're now Galleries in San Francisco, galleries in Portland, you know, galleries all over. Like, we want to do shows with you. In LA, that became my home gallery, which is some of the biggest artists in the world. You're talking about like Robert Williams who created Juxtapose Magazine, you know, Frank Kosick, Mark Ryden. And I'm showing with them, Matt Graney who created The Simpsons. Like my heart's hanging next to theirs. And I'm just like blown away. You know, Robin, like Robin Williams walked into the gallery with his daughter, you know, and it's like, and I'm just, this is all new to me. And I loved it. And I kept moving in that direction in my, and then I went to Vegas, did a show out there and the painting started getting a little bit more pricier. So the kids that supported me and the saw me grow up, I was like, well, I feel bad because now the paintings are selling for five, 600 bucks. Yeah, they're out of my price yeah. range now, man. So I'm like, what can I do? I'm like, i make stickers. I make prints. So then I started doing little pop-ups like the, the art walks and stuff like that. And then I got introduced by this artist who's an amazing artist. name's Luke Chu. He did an album cover for fallout boy, huge fan of his. And, um, to me is like another celebrity artist that introduced me to the art world and the the comic-con world. I didn't know that existed. Even though I lived in San Diego for so long, I didn't even know what a comic-con was. So I did this thing called designer con in Pasadena at the time. And it was, it was toys. It was art. So it was everything. Right up your alley, like, dude. Everything. Right. I'm like, I'm in the head. Culture pop. Yeah. And I was like, this is amazing. And then I was like, cool. And now like, I want to do New York comic-con. I want to do this. I want to do this. So I started traveling and doing all that stuff. And then I got introduced to the toy collector world, which I didn't even, again, didn't know existed. And this company was like, would you ever want to do a toy? And I'm like, that that, that would be amazing. So we created the little character. Well, I already had my character, my little bunny character. And they asked me, what's, what's the name of the, the bunny? And I was like, I don't have a name for it. And I realized that I, I put it on Facebook asking people, what should we name the bunny? Because everybody kept telling me what's the name of the bunny? I'm like, I don't know. I just kept calling it a bunny. And I held a contest on Facebook. And I was like, whoever names the bunny gets a free painting. And the names were terrible. And honestly, and I was like, I decided to name him Felipe. The reason I named him Felipe was because when I was three years old, and I'm going to get deep, brother. Uh, When I was three years old, uh, my mom was eight and a half months pregnant in Tijuana. Uh, She wouldn't play with me. And I was like, you know, let's play. And she was like, I'm tired. Uh, I kicked her at three years old. And I don't know if it was the next day or the day after, but I remember she was ready to give birth anyway. So she goes to the hospital, in Tijuana and she comes back home and she comes in with a mason jar and she had a fetus inside the mason jar. And I'm like, and I asked my mom, I was like, what's what's that? And she looks at me and she said, well, that's your brother, Felipe. And I'm like, well, what happened? And she starts kind of explaining to me. She's like, you know, God has a plan, sometimes mm-hmm. this and that. And I wasn't understanding, but I was like, I'm like, okay, okay. And I don't know if it was postpartum or what it was, but she looked right in my eyes and she said, you kicked me too. So you killed your brother. No man. So from that moment on, I remained the youngest in my family and he became like my imaginary friend slash guardian angel.
1: That's a lot to put on a on a young man, it, it, bro. A real eight year that
0: old. That dis- that messed me up for so many. Years. I, I you said you were eight when that happened. Three, three. Perdón, perdón. Yeah. Three. Your mom was
1: eight months pregnant. Yeah, you were Half three when me. that happened, and she put that on. She put that on me, and you know, from how do you get over me. that? How do you push through that? Is that I just is there a relationship I just still got there. over it,
0: um, like pretty much a couple years ago, man. Because my story is long as hell, and I I know we don't have that much time because we could go for days on this one, pero what ended up happening is that was the beginning of my depression, uh, like a lot of negative things with mental health, anxiety. Um, And my mom, you know, it's like now our relationship is great, but I'm talking about now, like recently in the last year, because from that moment on, I was I was the punching bag to my entire family. It serio, uh, my brothers uh, and my brother and my sisters, they were all kind of like, you didn't know what real poverty was. Cause they were like scraping fruit in Tijuana so we could eat. I mean, we were poor here, but they had it even worse in Tijuana. So, I was always like, well, you had it better than most of us. And then whether my mom said her or not, I knew that she always held that over me that, you know, about my little brother. So I grew up with a very toxic relationship with my entire family, with depression and anxiety. And I every time I try to speak to them about how they made me feel by the things they said to me or how they treated me, they were like, oh, we can't tell you anything. You're so sensitive, like da, 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 so, it made me learn to internalize- Start to be
1: feelings. a sensitive man in a Mexican household, yeah, I mean, bro. Yeah, bro. Mexican culture is always like good Unless you're like drunk and listening to
0: chente. Then the tears flow, then like a good. leaky faucet, bro. I mean, that's no. the thing. It's like, we see our parents, our grandparents, our dads, our uncles, when they get that drunk, they let it out
1: because normally- It's hidden, can't. bro. So it's, it's hidden it under layers and layers and layers. So I grew up living
0: in this life that I was like, man, like I can't say anything. So I had art and I drew. So I was like, my, and my little brother became my guardian angel. I spoke to him- you know, because nobody would play with me. I'm the youngest. He was the one that I told my, my fears, my dreams, everything. He, that was my little brother. He was Felipe. So I was like, you know what? If I'm going to keep going forward with this, I would love to be able to give this bunny character the name Felipe because I'm projecting my emotions and my feelings through this bunny character just like I did with my brother. And also if that I- ever, bunny character yeah. took on a different role. Yeah. It, it became is. bigger than life. And I said, if I ever make it big as an artist, it'd be great to see like a toy- with Felipe across the box, sold in stores like Hot Topic. Fast forward 15 years later, boom, they're being sold in Hot Topic Done. with Felipe across the name. And I start in my, but my art was still pretty, which I love the name because my art was pretty emo. I was super emo, like growing up. And you know, I was like, I, when I moved from San Diego to to Vegas, I came from like the hood cholo mentality. I, you know, I was still wearing like Doc, like the, doc, the Dickies or like the Ben Davis. You know, the night Cortez. El Changuito, bro, yeah. Ben Davis. Yeah, you know that was the expensive one. That was the Sunday pants. Mm. You know, and it was, you know, I had my, my sweater with 1904 on the back. I still wore the hairnets to the school, three flowers in my back pocket. Carmelja. Dude, that was me, and um, people would look at me because when I first walked into that school, it was like an episode of Saved by the Bell. Like there's, you know, there's cheerleaders, there's sports, there's lockers. At Gompers, we didn't even have grass. Like it was just dirt. Just weed, Me, yeah. Metal detectors, it was ghetto as hell. Like I tell people like, you see movies like Dangerous Minds, that was my classroom, you know? So we ended up um, moving to Vegas and I joined the soccer team and started going And I realized that there's more of the world. It gave you a fresh slate, yeah, a new outlook. When you're in the hood and you live for your gang, you live for your block, but you don't see beyond that after you you start seeing the world, like on how big it is, you're like, oh man, like there's so much
1: that I didn't even know that I could do. So we live so close to the beach. Sometimes yeah, we yeah. take for granted that you'd never actually go out there. Yeah, and you know? it's like to the beach to us when we were here, it was like that's that's where rich people live. i just as well be Disneyland, yeah. bro. You know, because this is going to be hard to Me get going. Going to
0: Belmont Park, I was like, man, that, that was the best thing ever. You know, I was like, I would go to Belmont Park with my brother, like
1: on the bus, bro. You having that mentality of being ostracized, being pushed out by your family, all that did was grease the passageway it to did. you join a gang. It did. Like it's and just it like, boom, like boom, 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 go. When
0: all and then when I was in San Diego, it was like. I, I was listening to, I was in, you know, all my friends in the beginning, they were writing me and stuff like that. After a while, you know, they move on with their lives yeah. and, and I'm out there and I remember I'm listening, and am watching MTV and hip hop started going different. Like I liked New York hip hop. I like SoCal hip hop, you know, like Dr. Dre, all that stuff. But when it started going into the whole bling bling generation. Like you know, Master P and stuff like that. It was like I'm like ah, I don't really relate that to that. Ain't this. me, yeah. That ain't me. And then all of a sudden, I'm watching MTV, and there's it's like late at night, and there's like a video of Corn, and they're playing, and all of a sudden, here comes Dub C Crip walking. He's like, "Get your boogie on," mm. you. and I'm like, "What the hell is this?" They just melded everything together for me. And then all of a sudden, I was like, "Oh, corn." Okay, and then Lincoln Park, and then Pod, and all these bands were like, "I'm like, what the? There's like a, the new metal, which was mixed with hip hop." But because I'm the kind of person that likes to learn the roots of everything, you, you I learned about that, then I learned about metal, and then I learned about you know rock. And then because I was always you know, you know listening to oldies, I knew rock and roll, which I already loved. So it was like then I started going back to the grassroots that realized that you know I learned bluegrass, I learned country, I learned all the way to you know classical. Because if you follow the, you know, you follow the track all the way back to what inspired who you just keep going backwards to the generation of where things started. So that realized I was like, Oh dude, you kind of like, you you kind of like punk. You kind of like this, oh, the whole thing. So I, now I, my life was, I was wearing Dickies, wearing Chucks, a Dickies button up shirt with like a slipknot logo, the fishnet things like the gloves. I would wear like my Thundercats hat with like spikes on it. And it was like every, at that time people were like, you make no sense. You're like, cause you're, I wasn't hip hop enough for the hip hop kids. I wasn't metal enough for the metal kids. I was just me. And I didn't know that that me, that's a mixture of everything. That's mostly what the generation, what people are now. You're not just one thing or another. You know, it's like, you're not just this. You're not just that. You enjoy many different things. So that I realized that me as a person and my art kind of worked together. We were just a mixture of all these things that that I loved. So now I have Felipe and I'm having a pretty good, decent career uh, with my art. And, but I wasn't happy personally. The depression, the anxiety, the the pressure of now I have a, a second baby and the pressure of being the man and providing for your family was really hard on me, especially with a partner that saw me as an
1: ATM. I and, was going to say at one point, it, it takes the passion out of what you're doing and it turns it into a career yeah. where it's like, I'm forced to do these things yeah. to put food on the table, and, to take care of a family. And does that become hard when it, you flip that switch? It was hard because I didn't have
0: any support because my ex basically said that if I didn't make it, we weren't ever going to have a house. We weren't ever going to own a car. She didn't want to do anything to be my friend, my partner in this. She, it was just like, I'm along for the ride. And then she started living like we've made it already when we were dead broke. You know, we had a lot of problems with money and she made it really, really difficult. And because, and, and I can't blame it all on her because as a man, I felt like, you know what? I should provide this for her. I should provide this for my family. So I made it easier. I facilitated it for her. I enabled it to happen. And then because I enabled it to happen, I, she never snapped out of it. Then I got mad at her and then it just became this whole ugly thing. And then I didn't have a family to turn to because yeah. my family, like my mom would be like, who would pay money for that ugly bunny? Or my dad's like, why? I like, like, I would do stuff where there, my stuff would be in billboards all over the city. And my dad's like, how much did you have to pay to get your billboards? I'm like, they, they paid me you know so it was there was no support there and, and have you ever had that
1: that passion that fire to impress your parents I, to I like win them over right
0: whether i knew or didn't right. I, it was there and it was whether impressing them or you know just winning you know, their approval or telling them like you know what screw you i made it yeah kind of thing and um you know as i was growing up i was living this life you know my uh, i'm it is not putting down my family but it's like everybody else was kind of messing up in my family. Like they weren't doing great. And I'm just like over here, I'm like, dude, I graduated college twice. I, you know, I was still married. I was like, I haven't been divorced. I've never been arrested. Cause I've never been caught, uh, but I'm like, <laughs> I've never been arrested. Like technically I'm a good person, but they still treat me like I'm the black sheep of the family. You know, it was like when I was 18, my dad slapped me. Cause I got tattooed. You know, I was like, I waited till I got 18 to get tattooed. And you yeah. played by the rules. I played by the rules as much as like I try to, to look like I wasn't. I I was. I was a pretty good kid, good kid, because I was scared. I didn't want to really break the rules, and then th- so that led me to a very
1: very dark time in my life. Uh, I was just depressed. Which you know? yeah, because when you were telling me that story, I was looking up a quote that it, rem- it reminded me of like a Henry Rollins crow, bro. And and he was like, "If you hate your parents, the man or the establishment, don't show them up by getting wasted or wrapping your car around a tree. If you really want to rebel against them." outlearn them, outlive them and know that you're more than they do for you. Yeah, And that's crazy. Cause it sounds like that's what you were probably trying to do. You went to school, you got your degrees, yeah. you know, you applied everything you learned in the streets and that gang life and with your art developed it, every obstacle that you've encountered, it seems like you've tapped into it, okay. learned and extracted the positive. But I didn't know that I was doing that. That's I, even better. I just knew I was like, I I think at that point, like if I didn't have
0: my daughters and I know this for a fact, I, I would not be here because I wasn't going to live for my ex. I wasn't going to live for myself because I didn't even like myself, you know, because when you're told by the people that are quote unquote around you, the closest to you, your family, your piece of crap, like you're not going to amount you're not, you, you get mad, but then you, you start believing it. And even when they're not around to say it, you keep saying it to yourself because that's all you've ever known. So when I started um, going in that direction, I was like, you know what? I think at one point I was like, I'm going, this is my life. I'm never going to be happy. I'm never really going to make it. I'm always just going to be there. I'm never going to break past that, that ceiling, but you know what? Um, I I want to leave, leave something behind for my daughters, not for my ex, but like for my daughters. And I thought that that was going to, this is my life. I'm just going to work. And one day I'm going to die. And that was it. And then I, I ended up getting a job, uh, a mural job in Portland that I had to go out there. And then during that time I, I released the toy And I had a meeting with Hot Topic. And then I had another like TV show thing that I had to film. So it was like this one weekend of like me traveling a lot and and going nonstop, I came back to Vegas and my ex kind of like, there's a rockabilly convention in in Vegas um, that uh, she loves to go to. Uh, She, you know, she was born in Utah. She's white. uh, And, but she loved collecting Mexican things, quote unquote me. So, (laughs) uh, so uh, yeah, so we went to the this, this show, and I, she knows I hate that show, and I just don't like going because a lot of the people just, I, I have issues with them because of the tattoo world, and I'm just like, I just don't like, going. I love the cars, though, like classic cars, oh my God, all day, every day, my dream car is a 57 Chevy Bel Air. Get it, bro. One day, one day is happening. like I already own it, I'm just trying to catch up to it. So, <laughs> uh, um, so I go to this show, and she le- she was like, oh, by the way, I'm just going to hang out with my friends so you can walk around by yourself, and I was like, I'm already depressed, I'm tired. And then she spends way too much money that we didn't have. And the next weekend I told her, I was like, yo, because um, she was like, well, you're getting paid for that. I'm like, yeah, but it's a like 30 days before they pay me. It's like corporate stuff. So she was like, we'll, we'll be fine. I was like, we're not. Um, so I told her, I'm like, okay, next Saturday, how about, you- I'm going to work on this job that I don't want to do. It's going to take me all day to just make a thousand bucks. I got to illustrate like 30 different things, but we need to pay bills you're off do you mind if you just watch the girls and then at night like me and you could like smoke out well i'll smoke out we watch tv and hang out and she was like yeah that's fine so i wake up super early i'm working the kids start waking up um i make them breakfast she's still not awake it's like 12 1 o'clock two o'clock three o'clock four o'clock make them lunch all that stuff i'm still working she's still not up she gets up eventually she's playing with her phone in the bedroom still doesn't get out of the room till like six o'clock and at this point we like, we've been having issues. Like we, she wouldn't talk to me. We, we didn't have a, like a physical relationship. It was just bad, but I was putting up with it. And I was thinking, this is my life. One day I'm going to die. And I thought that I had the strength to put up with that crap for the longest time. So she finally gets up around seven o'clock. I told her at nine o'clock I was going to be done, hopefully. So she gets up seven o'clock, makes herself lunch. Doesn't even ask about the kids, sits down, watch TV. It's about eight 45. And I remember, I'm almost done. Back's killing me. Eyes are killing me. She gets up, still on her phone, playing on her phone. And she's like, I'm going to bed. I'm like, I thought we were going to hang out and watch a movie. And she's like, well, how? she's like, I don't know how much time you got left. I'm like, dude, I got like 15 minutes left. She rolled her eyes and she was like, oh, fine. She sat down and something inside of me went click. And I said out loud, I'm done. And She's like, what? I'm like, I'm done. I, I can't live like this. And I'm just unloaded and you know she got pissed we had a huge fight she walked out of the house i never say anything bad in front of my kids, like about her in front of my kids so my daughter my oldest one walks out she's like what's, where's mommy at what's wrong i was like well she said you know she's gonna go to bed and my daughter was like but you were working all day because you guys are gonna hang out i'm like yeah i know and she just went in a room and and after that we were done but I was, we didn't have money i couldn't leave so now it's like i moved into my kid's room and for a whole year, was just really, really bad. Just a whole like,
1: year, bro? A whole year. After
0: that blow up, you did it a whole year after that? She couldn't. She didn't have enough money to leave. I didn't have enough money to leave. So I was like, we got to figure something out. So that was like around like January. Oh, no, it was February. And I remember like, it was just the most terrible time of my life fighting and just, I hated it. And, um, I, there's this guy that came around. He's like, man, he's like, look, I, I could totally rep you with your art. Um, he owned like a weed business, like dispensaries and all that stuff. He was like, why don't you move to LA like during December and like move there for six months? You know, I'll, I'll pay you under the table 2,000 bucks. That's what I need." So when,
1: when was this? How this many?
0: Was, uh, it was like three, uh, 2017. Okay. So there's, uh, so he was like, yeah, come over. You know, I'll pay you 2,000 bucks on the table. You, you send it to your, to your girl, whatever, pay bills, and then we'll try to get you a job, like doing art jobs and stuff like that. All I need you to do is move to our grow house and just water the plants twice a day. Up You could live upstairs, a giant studio loft, you could paint there, do whatever you want. I was like, all right, cool. So December was coming around and we're finally in December. I told that to my ex, I was like, look, we need to break something, whatever. We can't be in the same house, we are gonna kill each other. And she was like, fine, I'm moving to Colorado with my parents. I'm like, okay, but when summer lets out and the, my daughter's out of school because the youngest one wasn't in school yet, I'm like, you're coming but you you come back to Vegas and then we figure out what we're gonna do. She's like, All right. So she dude, she's out. She peaced out, right? So at the beginning of Christmas, I love Christmas. That's the one holiday that like just melts my heart every time. And my kids weren't there anymore. So now I'm sitting there and I'm depressed and I'm just sad. And on top of it, the that dude ghosts me. Oh, Neta. Ari told the the apartment. I was like, "Yo, I, I gotta break the lease and all." Because he told me, "I'll give you money to break the lease. I'll give you money to pay the rent. We'll move you out there. Cool." He fucking ghosts me, and then at the end of like like right before like I'm getting I'm about to get kicked out, uh, he was like, "Hey, uh, I have to go handle some business, so uh, I'm out. Peace." I'm like, "What? What am I?" So it was the darkest time of my life. I was so like depressed. I was suicidal. I did drugs that I've never done before, and I was still like doing a little bit of jobs here and there and- Enough to survive, Yeah, no, to scratch out a career. Not, not even, just to eat. And cause in a month I was going to get kicked out. Like all the stuff was gone in the apartment, I'm sleeping on the floor. And I told my ex what happened. She was like, well, why don't you come up here where my parents are at? And I was like, all right. And it wasn't like Denver, it was like Northern, like uh, over there in Colorado, which is like country as hell. So I'm up there and I don't like being there because we I was literally in the bedroom I slept on the floor Was she slept on the bed with the girls and it was, you know, it was terrible. Her her dad's extremely racist. And like, she was always yelling at my daughter and I'm like, out of respect, I'm like, I can't say shit because I'm living in this house. But at the same time, I'm like, you keep yelling at my youngest daughter for not doing anything. Like, I want to knock you out, bro. And I'm trying to find a job at like Home Depot, at like Walmart, anything in this hick little town. And uh, this is the first time I was even being here and everywhere. I haven't been called a beaner in forever. And I got called a beaner in public out there. And I was, I wasn't even mad. i was more surprised. Like, wow,
1: people actually do this.
0: <laughs> right. I was just like, wow, that's, that's crazy, crazy, man. That's that's, a, that's.
1: And I was like, I can't be pulled it. out of your comfort zone and being put in a yeah. whole different land. So
0: um, my kids were in school. The, the youngest one, uh, she went like with my ex somewhere and I'm sitting in the house and I'm, I, I just fell in this depression. And the thing about depression and suicide is that a lot of people think that you're like, oh, I'm going to count this out no, at least for me, it was the most calm time of my life. It wasn't like, and it's not a greedy thing. It was more of like, everybody's going to be better off without me. Not right now, but in the long run, they're going to be better off without me. It was the most calm and peaceful decision I had to make. And I was like, you know, if anything, if I you know if I kill myself or anything like that, then at least my kids like hopefully the art thing blows up. You know, because after death, artist stuff blows up. So I was like, maybe that's it how blows that works. <laughs> so I was like, you know, so I'll leave that behind for them and that. So I I grabbed the gun, pulled the trigger, bullet jammed, hit the ground, started crying. But the thing that it's always been about me is that I get idea when I get idea for a drawing or a painting, I have to either like draw it or write it down on my phone like super fast. So when the bullet jammed, my brain went to an idea for a drawing and I, I grabbed my iPad and I drew it and I always post my drawings on social media and I was already talking about like depression, mental health and stuff like that. And I posted the drawing and then I, had, I got an idea for another drawing, another drawing, another drawing, another drawing. And I just started busting them out and putting them on social media. And that was the way that I was like venting. That was your outlet. Yeah. And then people were like, wow, like we love your stuff, but like, this is different. Like this hits differently. Like somebody's like, you should do a book. So then I was like, That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna put all these ideas together and write a book called I'm Not Okay. And it the book wasn't about to tell it wasn't to make people be like, this is how you fix depression. It's something that nobody talks about. And it's that moment that the reason people don't talk about their depression is one, they don't want to bother other people. Two, they don't think people are gonna care. Also, it's like your thoughts. Or wherever, maybe three. They yeah. don't even
1: know how to, There's, I don't know how to explain yeah, what they're or how feeling. To explain, you know? That's a big one. That's too. a one. I actually one. wrote that
0: one down too. It's, it's, they don't know how to explain it or their feelings. So what ended up happening was I did this and I was like, look, I'm going to do this book and I'm going to create a Kickstarter for it. But right when I launch it, I'm going to pull the trigger because even though I'm depressed and even though, you know, I was like I'm hurting and I know that I'm going to hurt my family by doing this, I also know marketing as messed up as that sounds. bro, that is a crazy
1: so if outlook you, on if how you to think about out, it.
0: Local artist kills himself dealing with depression and mental health. Last thing he did was create this book talking about mental health and depression. And he left the codes to his wife. How much money do you think that Kickstarter wasn't going to get? Jesus Lord, man. Right. That's a twisted way of looking at that. It is my a brother. twisted way. That's but a in <laughs> reality. It's like, that's, that's what I wanted to do with that book. It was about, We get thoughts in our heads that are dark, that are twisted and we internalize them and we hold them in because we don't want to share them with people. We should get them out of us. We should share them with people like that, no matter how messed up they are. And the loved ones around you should accept that. Not just, and they should be proud of the fact that, look, they're not holding it in anymore.
1: They're actually sharing it You're manifesting it it into artwork, into characters and it comes out and it bleeds onto your paper. So you let, instead of me pulling the trigger again, or for them, it
0: was like, or hurting themselves then you know you should be able to express it that way so i i moved back to vegas at that time because i needed money and the day before i launched the the kickstarter um this there was this thing happening in vegas where they finally got their first forever professional sports team which was the hockey team called the golden knights and during that time i was just doing little drawings and then my friend uh, who's a king's fan in LA, was like hey because the knights did what no team in the history of the nhl has ever done they were called the 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 it, they were an expansion team. That means that they get the scraps of whatever other teams don't want. And, and they make a franchise make out of the it. a franchise out <laughs> of it. You know, and it was like, and, and everybody's like, oh, they're going to be the worst team in history. Da, da, da. They're going to be terrible. The team made it to the Stanley Cup the first year. And of course, Vegas.
1: Never been done. Uh, Vegas is like, oh my
0: God, the whole city went crazy. People that don't know anything about hockey, they're going to go, go, go watch it. I love hockey because, you know, at, I grew up with Mighty Ducks. So I was like, I played hockey and then I played soccer because all my cousins played soccer, but I always loved hockey. And I was watching the, I was kind of watching the team. I was like, oh, we don't suck. Cool. Oh, we're actually doing the playoffs. Oh, we actually might go to the Stanley cup or we're going to the Stanley cup. So what ended up happening was like, I was doing those drawings and my friend, he was like, Hey, we're coming to, we we're playing LA. And he was like, we're, uh, we're coming to Vegas to watch the game so we could take out the trash. So I was like, I made a, <laughs> a drawing of like our mascot, which is a lizard for some reason um throwing away the king's logo in the trash just as then I put it on Instagram just for shits and giggles. And then I realized I was like, oh we got a lot of likes. So I did another one and I did another one. And whatever team we played, I just posted on there and it's like, so I'm you getting all these followers. So the day that I'm gonna launch the book, um like the night before I told my friend, I was like, look, we're playing the Sharks tomorrow. Uh I did this drawing which is basically I created a little character called Little Knight. And he's cutting up a shark like a sushi. And um, I'm like, hey, every, the news and everybody goes crazy over the nights. The Stanley Cup's When other the nights play. They do every story around it. You know, what if somebody contacted the news and be like, there's artists doing these drawings that are kind of funny. Because on Instagram, uh, on Facebook, I already have like, I joined the fan groups of, okay. of the nights. So you're tapped in. Yeah, so it's like, so they like my drawings. So they're reposting it over and over again. So the buzz is building. Uh, we we hit up the news station and it was like, hey, is artists doing this stuff. Because my idea was like, okay, what if they see it and what if they like it and what if they do a story on it and what if the night see it and what if they hire me, you know, if the yeah. nice space today and if they win da, 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 And so there's a lot of ifs on that. So I sent the drawing off and well, I sent the, the email off and, um, the, the new state, none of the new stations scared. One of them, which is Fox five in Vegas. They were like, they reposted it on Facebook and I was, but that was it. They didn't want to do a story or anything. I'm like, ah, fine, whatever. So I, I, Went on the link and I posted it on the three fan pages that I was in. And each page had like 30,000 followers. And I was, and they all liked my stuff. And I was like, hey guys, get what? Guess what's what? So I've posted. Can you mind, you guys mind reposting it? You know, so technically, you have 90,000 people that I showed it to, 10,000 between like the, the, the three groups reposted it in five minutes. Oh, shit. <laughs> so I'm on my way to the gym because I was fat as shit. Gorilla marketing. Dude, I was like almost 300 pounds. So I'm going to put it. Yeah. Bro, so what are you doing? Like one. 80. Once um,
1: 180. Around yeah. 180. Damn. Yeah. Half your body weight you've lost.
0: Yeah. I'll tell you that one too. So they were like, I'm on the way to the gym and they hit me up and they're like, Hey, would you, we saw that your, your stuff went viral on, on Facebook. Would you mind coming and doing a story? I'm like, Oh, when they're like, well, right now. I'm like, Fuck. you turn, turned around, went back. We did a story we recorded for about like, I don't know, like two hours. And I I worked for a radio station when I was younger. I got interned for it, and the, we were owned by a by a TV station. And I was like, "Hey, if the story airs, when would it air?" And it was like, "Oh no, it's gonna air, and it's and it's gonna air right after tonight's game. Like because we're the sponsor for tonight's game, so everybody in Vegas is watching it on Fox Five, and it's gonna air after." I'm like, "Oh, that's no pressure, cool. no pressure." And I'm like, "All right, so but I knew what I was doing when I did the interview, and one of the things that I said on purpose." Uh, was, because she asked me, I knew the question I was going to get asked was, are you ever going to sell these drawings or prints or anything? And I, I said, looked right at the camera. I was like, I will never do any of these drawings unless the Knights officially do something with me mm. out of respect for them. And, and I was like, okay. My boy texts me like after and he was like, boy, dude, that line was amazing. I know what you're doing. I'm like planning I did that the on seed. <laughs> so what ended up happening is the Knights played, they won. As soon as the the, the, the it cut off, Next on five, five local artist makes drawings Da are da, da, da. And I'm like, Oh man, it that into right? reality. So then all of a sudden the news story goes and everybody's going crazy. And I hit up the nights, like, and I sent them the link, the link for it that night. And the next morning they're like, Hey, would you want to come in? So I go in, and I had a meeting with their art director. I created their official, they're called the golden misfits, little characters, um, little skull characters created like to the fit for the official fan club of, of the, the team. And they make t shirts and pucks and everything blows up, right? Oh,
1: man, just bro.
0: But everything, and you're talking about like when it finally blew up, there was like, you know, I maxed out on friends on Facebook. I didn't know you could max out. Apparently, after 5,000, they created a you
1: franchise off. Yeah. and one of the top four sports in American a team sports. team that's
0: doing something that's never been done in the history of sports. But the guy that created the the guy that uh, was the art director, his, he, had a, he was Hispanic. And I think, I don't know exactly what was his thinking. But he didn't like me after that. He probably thought I wanted his job or something. And he was like, Ooh, complete, he felt the pressure. Yeah, he was a complete asshole to me. And it was like, But here's the thing, when I when I did the drawings and I showed it to him, he's like, Dude, these are perfect. These are amazing. He uh he asked me how much and I was like, Oh, it's you know, it's a thousand bucks per drawing. You guys own them completely. I get no percentages, nothing. I'll also do different posters for the next six months for free. He looked at me, he said, You're crazy. It is just a drawing. It's like, uh and I'm like and then he's like, and the nights are broke. I'm like, you just less than eight hours ago, locked your ticket in to go to the Stanley Cup. But he's telling me that the nights have no money and they're broke. And, and I'm ridiculous for asking that, amount, that amount, of, amount of money. So I was like, whatever. And it was, cause it was going to be like, it, it was going to be a 5,000 bucks or something like that. And to me that would save my life, you know? And then I reached out to a marketing director and I was like, yo, I guess, thank you so much for this opportunity. And, you know, dude said the nights are broke, have no money so you know, Hopefully, maybe we'll do something along the lines later. I guess he called the art director. Art director calls me. He's like, you're asking for way too much. I'm like, why do you call me, bro? You already canceled it. Like, we're not doing anything. He's like, look, get you a thousand bucks. That's the most that I could do. I was like, all right, I'll take a thousand bucks because I have no money. I'm broke and I'm homeless. uh, But my name has to go on everything you guys print. And he was like, that's fine. And I'm like, and I could publicly talk about it on social media and everywhere. And you guys have to publicly say that that I was the one that created it. He's like, that's fine. All he cared about the money. What he didn't know is that I was going to run with it. Uh-huh. Every new station, every outlet, I went crazy. I maxed out on friends on Facebook and all this stuff. And it's just, I made more money from selling prints afterwards than that. I crashed Etsy for the Southwest. Like I got kicked out of Etsy because I crashed the website when I released my, my, my prints. And then I- That's thought, next level, bro. And I thought that things were going to change. And then all of a sudden this guy who's a celebrity- um, <laughs> He, he was like, hey, let's partner up. Let's launch a line with the stuff that they don't want. Because I offered the characters that I that made me blow up to them. And the art director was like, we don't want them. They're yours. People already know that's yours. So we want something different. So that's why I created that for them. So when uh, all of a sudden it was like, this guy, this rich guy who's on TV, he was like, hey, let's do this. Um, you know, let's do this brand. I didn't know that from the day one, He was him and his lawyer were screwing me. He made me sign a contract, which I thought was my lawyer, he was like, but basically what it was is that after three days, if I didn't re-sign the contract again, then he owns everything and I will never own anything again of my own art forever in all eternity. That's what the contract is. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like. How does
1: that work? Even yeah. pieces that you've never even done at that moment? Yeah. Any future works by you yeah. will be owned by this That's person. That's a very
0: normal contract. Is it really? So
1: do, are they just expecting that people don't read it and mm-hmm. just kind of glance because over they, it? They hide
0: it and they bury it in like tens and tens and tens of pages and all of a sudden, because he's over here telling me, he was like, he knows that I'm broke. He knows I have no money. He knows that I'm homeless. So he's like, did like, he front
1: any up like seed money or
0: anything? He loves to tell people that he gave me a check for $10,000, but I'm like, I never saw a check. And but he's like, No, we're going to blow up. We're going to do this huge. I mean, he has $3 million house in Vegas. I'm like, I there's no way I couldn't believe this guy. Right. And it was my only way out. I didn't have anything else because the day that I was on the news was the day I was supposed to pull the trigger. So that stopped me from doing
1: it. Bro, it seems like every time you try to take that step, things intervene exactly. and, and, and kind of help you drive yeah. into a different direction. So, uh, you know, so we opened up the store there's uh, in downtown Las
0: Vegas. And I told them, I was like, because I crashed Etsy. I, I made $30,000 in 20 minutes, but luckily I didn't have a car. So I was able to get my own place. I was able to get a car. and $30,000 in sales in 20 minutes? And it should have been 50, but the website crashed. And it was like because and they told me when it, and this is how they told me because it was like I put up 500 prints I borrowed money to make get them printed. I was still at my parents' house, which I didn't want to be there and um, all of a sudden it's like I'm launching because uh, I I, everything that I do, I learn from the like the shoe game limited drops, exclusivity, all that stuff. So I was telling all these fans are going crazy because now I'm the official guy that created the misfits and were like, oh, are you releasing this print? I'm like, look, I'm releasing this entire series. Of the little drawings that I did of whatever team we played, it was 25 drawings. And I was like, I'm releasing the whole set in a, they're five by seven for 50 bucks, the most expensive i ever sold a print for. And I borrowed money from a friend to make 500 sets at 50 bucks a pop. So I was like, I tell, told everybody, and it was, I, I'm getting messages like on Facebook. They're like, dude, I'll give you $200 right now if you sell it to me. I'll give you $500. I'm like, but I kept telling people no because exclusivity is the thing. So, I said Friday at noon. Look at you dropping knowledge for everybody listening right now. Because it's not just about art. I learned the business. I had to study on my own marketing, psychology. You're your own brand, bro. You're representing yourself. It's a hustle. It's a grind. It's uh, being a working artist is not just about painting things. That's that's one of the smallest things to do because that's not the job. That's me. I paint, even if I wasn't making money, I would create the artwork. But since there's a market for it, I'm going to learn the damn market. Especially after being screwed over so many damn times by people. Learn the
1: game, learn the rules, yeah. take
0: it over, and learn the learn their rules and use their rules against them. So at the same time, so I'm dealing with all this stuff, and I was like, you know, I launched the the thing. I launched it at fr- on Friday at noon at eleven fifty nine. I put it on it's on Etsy. I'm about to put, press launch. So at eleven fifty nine, I push launch. Before I could switch over to Facebook to tell people that it is going. When on your phone and you sell on Etsy, it goes ching when you sell one thing. So at 1159, as soon as I put launch before I told the rest of the world that I was selling it, my phone goes
1: ching,
0: And I'm just sitting back. The most like, beautiful sound in the world. I'm like, I'm not broke anymore. I'm going to have a car. And I'm like, I could buy stuff for my kids. And I was like, cause at that time when you're like, you know, I knew that if I sold all of them, it's 50 grand or something like that. And I was like, man, this is insane. And I was just, and then it stopped. And I was like, wait, how did it stop? And then my phone rings. Hi, this is Wells Fargo. I just wanted to let you know that we put a hold on your account. I'm like, why? There's all this money coming in. And I'm like, there's money coming in. You put a hold on it? They're like, yeah. It was like, it's from Etsy. So I called Etsy and they were like, they were really nice at first. And then I they found out who that was. And they were like, here's the problem, man. Uh, you put up 500 sets, correct? And I was like, yeah. You launched at 1159, correct? I'm like, yeah. At 1201, you had 10,000 orders. Mm. Like in the shopping cart, processing it website couldn't handle it. How are they gonna fight over five hundred prints, bro? So <laughs> Yo, not my problem. Etsy was like, We're gonna kick you out. So they kicked yeah. out. Uh, I'm not allowed to be on Etsy anymore.
1: Anymore ever? Yeah. Not even under a fake name? I tried under a fake name, they found out it was me, kicked me out again. Neta. Yeah.
0: It was uh so then, you know, all that stuff. So you learned happened. the rules of their game, you beat them at their own game and yeah. now you can't play their game. So now this dude that uh, the celebrity screwed me over, stole everything I had. At the same time, the Knights were, he was lying to them as he was lying to me because he said, we're going to trademark everything and whatever. They didn't uh, trademark everything. They didn't trademark anything. The Knights were getting mad because they saw all like their fans wearing my shit from my little store. We made $175,000 in sale in two days. Mm. We were just bawling. I saw zero because he set up the accounts. He set up everything. His girlfriend would come at the end of the day, pick up the drop for the bank. I didn't see, he said he was putting it back in the company. I wasn't seeing a dime. That $30,000 that I got, it was just to pay my bills. And that I had to survive for that for six months because I didn't know that I was getting screwed over. So he's lying to, the Knights reached out to me and they were like the marketing director and the art director, you know, the one of the guy that doesn't like me. They're like, hey, we brought you into the Knights. We're family. We want to let you know that? I don't think your partner's telling you the truth. I'm like, dude, screw you guys. Talk to my lawyer. I didn't know that my lawyer is working against me because he's best friends with that dude. So I'm getting screwed from every direction, right? I didn't know that. So it got to the point where the Knights called their lawyer, lawyer came in and like, look, if you guys have the paperwork that you guys at least file her trademark for these characters, that's fine. And I'm like, yeah, we have that. They told me that. And it was like, you guys could sell. That's what my, and then that was the the meeting. Supposedly my business partner was like, yeah, you went to a meeting. I asked for a paper. We showed the paper. They were like, all right, cool. Bye. I'm like, Perfect. I found out later that they never filed for the trademarks, and that after that meeting, the knights went and filed for trademarks and spent twenty thousand dollars trademarking my characters, not so they could sell it, so I couldn't sell it. Mm. Again, it's a terrible move, but it's a boss move, and you know I can't hate them too much for that because like if I would have the money, I, it's business, whatever. So they did that, and I'm like, you know what, I'm done with this. So I realize, and I go through this depression, and I go i i posted online i was like i am sorry i'm closing down shop you know it wasn't handled the way it was supposed to be handled blah blah blah. the lawyer scared me so it went from uh a lot of people were like you know it's like oh man that's messed up blah, blah, blah. and everybody's like thousands of people like commenting off this one thing that i posted and people were like oh let's do a go fund me for juan and i was like nah nah if you guys want to go fund me do it for like kids that are hungry or something and. You know? I'm broke, dude. I, I, Like looking back, I'm like, I would have needed that GoFundMe. It would have been great. But no, my pendejo ass, like trying to help others. I'm like, nah, do it for a charity or do it for somebody else, right? But I spent that whole weekend and what what happened, it was beautiful at first because people were like, oh, this is messed up, da, da, da. And then people were like, well, screw the Knights. I'm like, no, no, don't 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 try to argue with, no, it's not the Knights' fault and this and that. I was like, well, what about your parents? I, like, I didn't even throw that dude under the bus. I just said the lawyer screwed us up. And then- it's like the game telephone. When you tell one person one thing, the story starts changing. Yeah, for sure. So then people were like, when it, it got to the point where people started telling the story in their own words, then some, other, they didn't tell it correctly. So people were like, well, what do you expect? You know, you stole from the Knights or you violated their trademark. They're going to sue you. To... Hey, uh, screw that guy. That's what he gets for uh, fucking Orlando. Well, fuck that guy. He steals from the knights. That's what he's going to get. What do you think he's just going to make career?
1: So the same people that were cheering you on ultimately no, turned just, on you. It was or? other people. Yeah,
0: it was other people that were getting the second or third part of the story, like third version of it. And uh, and it because it started with the people that did support me started telling it in their own words. So you know it changes. And it got to the point where I'm reading every comment, every message Oof, that could get messy, and they were getting uglier and uglier. And the last one, and I've told this story many times was I hope your daughters get killed and raped as bad as you rape the Knights. Serio, Sports bro. fans are hard, man. They are the most, they could be the most racist, ugliest, disgusting people in the world. The same people that are like, like we're loving you one minute. Like I'm not a franchise, bro. I'm not a multi-million dollar player. And even them, they shouldn't say that to them either. But I'm like, dude, I'm just a kid that's trying to make a living. so. I spent the whole weekend under my blankets reading every comment, every message. You know, I have friends now that are celebrities uh, and they were like, dude, why'd you do that? I'm like, "Um, I don't know, man. And then I have anxiety and depression. So shit. So after that, I decided to, I'm going to stop doing everything that's hockey related. And I met my current investor and he's a good guy. And he was like, look, and he's like, how's it going? I'm like, oh, you know, crazy with like, you know, the hockey stuff. He's like, what about the hockey stuff? in vegas this guy has no idea what's going on because he doesn't like hockey and i'm like he's like i like your other stuff so he put up a bunch of money so i was able to launch my brand and i was able to like he was like let's do it let, let's move forward with your brand let's do this you get a paycheck by your own company da, da. so i get a paycheck like from my own company and all this stuff i have health insurance and i was like cool we're gonna launch it i'm like i'm gonna spend and this was like you know during that like 2008. like 18 era, I was like, I'm going to spend the rest of the year just creating this brand. And then next year in March is the first convention called Desi- um, WonderCon in Anaheim. I was like, I'm not only going to do that. I am I have a little money saved from the 30,000. I'm going to get gastric sleeve. So I was like, I'm going to be able to get healthier physically. And then I want to get healthier mentally. And I started focus- I'm like focusing on mental health and really pushing that message. I didn't know what was coming next. I didn't know. 2019
1: was coming next. Oh, you know, something called COVID that here in 2021 at the end, we're still dealing with. So
0: what ended up happening is like, but I was like, you know what? You've lived your life miserably for 36 years, bro. Try to do it differently. Try to do it completely the opposite and go for it. Go, Go for broke happiness, kindness, love, empathy. And I was like, "Let's just go in that direction. See if if it doesn't work, go back to being miserable." You, Bro, I just that. met you. Yeah.
1: I just met you yesterday. Yeah. All right. And all I've seen from you is just smiles from ear to ear, grin. <laughs> I like it. If I had to take a guess about you know your upbringing and oh the obstacles God. and everything that you had to endure in order to get to where you currently are and what path you're creating to go forward, I never would have thought that these stories were going to come out of your mouth yeah. today. So what you represent happening- yourself completely differently, man. Well, let's get to San Diego because I. At one point when everything was getting better, I
0: lost the weight. My, you know, my niece, my, I had, my niece was 15 years old when she got cancer three years ago. She passed away um, right before COVID hit. So we we were hearing this thing about COVID, you know, overseas. I wasn't too worried about it, but I started reading books like The Secret and work books on manifestation and self-help business like all these books while i was working out while i was like healing from the surgery while i was doing all these things i'm like so my plan was like in march i'll come out like like the swan like bien flaco bien guapo like my whole new brand and all that stuff and like the world's gonna be like wow where the hell he come from right yeah so i was like so i'm over here and i'm i'm doing everything and i was like ah, wait wait till they see me and then um my and my sister my my niece was just fighting cancer this whole time you know Uh, She, she called me her famous uncle because whenever I meet celebrities, I take pictures with them and send them to her. And, um, you know, come February, she, she'd go back to the hospital. I was like, to us, it's sad, but it was almost normal. Like she'll do good and then she'll do bad and go to the hospital and they give her medicine or take care of her. And then she gets out, comes home. So when February, like there was, I was living this life of just manifesting. Right. And Everything was going perfect. It was, everything was was like, I'm like, man, like, this feels like magic. Like, I didn't know that I could do this. And I was like, but the universe was like, don't get too cocky, kid. And come February, um, she, uh, she passed away. I remember going there and I was like, I took a week off and normally it would have killed me. Like I would have probably pulled the trigger then, but I was in such a better place because of the things that I've learned. That I was like, okay, I'm gonna keep going for her. I'm gonna keep going for me, and uh, you know, during that time before COVID, I mean, I, I'm friends with the guys from Jabalawakis. We went to high school together with a couple of guys, We've been friends for such a long time, and then a lot of the guys were there in Vegas. So, I I was launching this new thing with with Jabalawakis, a new apparel I designed for them. The we got a new goalie for the for the team that moved from um, the East Coast to Vegas, and he talks about mental health. And I drew a, a panda because that was his nickname. And he saw it. it dude, he's wearing it in his helmet to this day. He is he really? It, he wore it in the Stanley Cup finals. Like there's my panda dead center on his on his head. We became friends. I became friends with a lot of the players. And everything is blowing up. And I'm about to launch this brand. And boom, hope COVID hits. And I was like, damn, what am I going to do now? So I remember painting a mural. I'm, reading, I'm listening to the uh, Russell Simmons book. And it's talking about like, you know, if you have friends that are like, you know, that are professionals and doing amazing, I feel like talk to them, take them to coffee, pick their brain. So what I did because of COVID, I, I have met a lot of people and I reached out to them. I was like, look, you know me, you know my brand. If you were me, what would you do in this next step? And they all sent me email, the emails and messages. And, you know, I took what I wanted and what I liked from each one of those emails and I incorporated it and I launched my brand online. For the web store, and I launched it on my birthday, mm. in May, because I was like, wait, 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 wait. when's your birthday? May thirteenth. Ah, repues, mine's cinco de mayo. Oh my All god, right. <laughs> I was born on Friday, at thirteen. Wang. So what ended up happening was like uh, I, you know, pulling a little bit of heartstrings before I launched the website because everybody's in lockdown. I started putting a lot of my drawings, just the outlines, online. I'm like, here, give it to your kids for so they could color it in. So when that that happened, like people, it, it put my my name on people's mouths. And Nobody else was doing it, so I was like, Oh, thank you so much, Juan. I was like, And I did want to do it for the kids, but at the same time, I'm like, I, I just want to get you guys ready for what's to come. Yeah. So, when I launched the website, yeah, 175 grand first day, but this time the money went to me, Eso. and now I have money, now I have this. My investor's happy as hell, and I was, but we were in lockdown. Can't go anywhere. Can't do anything. And then the riots start happening. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's ugly. The world is, you know, with Trump. It's been a crazy year and a half, bro. With, with Trump and you president know? and all that stuff. It was just a very dark time, like for the world. And I remember I had to turn off social media and I told my daughters, one's 14, one's eight. And last year, you know, I told them, I was like, what's going to happen? I was like, look, we're going to sit down and just going to watch Mr. Rogers. And I, as I'm watching Mr. Rogers, I I saw that. Like the lessons of love and kindness and empathy that they taught us, him, Sesame Street, like Bob Ross, Steve Irwin, like all those people, were the basic foundations of what to make a decent human being, and we tend to forget that as we get older. And I always wrote like street poetry. I was never a rapper. Like I can't freestyle, but I could write pretty well, and I, I would write a lot of urban poetry, like going Chicano poetry, like you know that, that kind of stuff. So. uh they're uh, very convoluted. Like Eminem's one of my favorites. Like just the way the technique that he's like he he'll tell you he's very scientific on the way that he writes his lyrics. And um so I was like I'm I'm sitting there and I'm watching Mister Rogers and I'm like oh my god like these these lessons just make a decent human being. So I wrote a book and. Uh, It was about a little panda. It's called, I Want You to Love Me. And the reason I did a panda is because there's a joke that's like, you know, a panda's white, a panda's black, a panda's Asian. So the book is about, you know, just wanting to be loved because Mr. Rogers was like, we should tell children that we love them. Not because of who they're going to become, but because who they are today. Because they're humans and they should just, you know, be cared for because of that. And I was like, from that moment on, my entire life became... Being a mentor, uh, Mr. Rogers became my mentor, so whether, whether he knew it or not. And then I started going in this direction. I wrote that book, and I was a "When little, did you write this book?" Uh, last during that pandemic, during, and it's available right it. now. Or yeah. where is, can we buy it? Uh, my website, nino.bunnyworld.com. Uh, we have it. We have it there, and we actually hooked up with a publisher. And I'm working on another book right now. That before we end, uh, it's it's a, another poem, and I want to read it to you. You got yeah. it, man. It's less than seven minutes, and I timed it. But uh, <laughs> no, I timed it because I was like, I, I wanted to see how long it would take. Uh, for me to to read to people because I wanted to go out to hospitals and you know schools and all this stuff and just read them to read them to kids. You found your path, yeah. I that you created. So what ended up happening was that I, I realized that I was like, look, you're already going in this path about mental health, but that's just a small part of it. You should incorporate love and kindness and loving each other because that's what we should do, not because we have to do it. And. And I kept thinking I'm like the world needs somebody like Mr. Rogers again. I'm like, I can't be it because I'm fucking broken. I'm a tattooed Mexican. Like There's no hell, hell no way I could do this. And then one of the things that actually saved my life in the beginning of it all is that I realized when I was reading these books about business, like, you know, there's Rosa Simmons, the guy that created Virgin Music, Mark Cuban, all these people, they had one thing in common and it was that they meditated. I taught myself to meditate and I, I downloaded an app and I meditate every, 10 minutes every morning. And like, it's different guided meditations. I put on headphones and I just do it and it saved my life, man. And now that I'm living this life and I'm going in this direction, I was like, okay, one, one day I'm meditating. And I tell my girl, I'm like, I'm fuck it. I'm going to be the next Mr. Rogers. I'm going to take that torch. And because people are kind for the most part, people do kind things, but I'm like, you need that guy that goes above and beyond being extra kind. Like it's called Radical Kindness. There's a book called Angela, Angela, uh, This lady called Angela Santamara wrote, it's called Radical Kindness. And it's about going way above and beyond because that way people could see it. You know, people could really see it. And I was like, you know what? Mr. Rogers, the reason people have, there's so many rumors about Mr. Rogers, but oh, he was a sniper or he was covered in tattoos or he killed people because they can't accept that a person was just good.
1: Hmm.
0: Mr. Rogers- There's a lot of
1: truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that.
0: I've read everything that he's wrote i read everything that everybody wrote about him, watched every documentary on the man, and he was and I love him to death, but he's a square. He's such a most boring square. Like he was going to grow up to be a minister. He grew up rich in, you know, where he was from. He was grew up rich. He was going to grow up to be a minister. Found out what TV was. He saw what it it was disgusting the way the programming that had for kids, and he was like, "This tool should be used to teach kids." I'm going to learn TV and his parents were like, "You don't even watch TV." They're like, yeah, I don't care. So he started working and going in that direction. And he was just, he didn't he didn't watch TV either. And I'm like, the it, but people now are like, oh, he's done this, he's done that. And the other thing is like, he didn't. He was just a good person. But it's hard for people to to comprehend that. Like there has to be something on somebody for them to understand. And I don't think that today in age, he'd be able to do what he did if, if he was alive today, if he's tried to do it today. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to be the next Mr. Rogers because like, I want the world to know that it's like, I'm, I'm broken. I've hurt others. I've hurt myself. I've, I've been a bad person. I made mistakes, but I want to change and I want to be able to spread, take that torch that he had and run with it and just make people happy. And I told my girl and every day, every day in the last six months, this year alone, dude, every day changes. There's a, I can't believe the things that happen from one day to another. I look at my girl, we talk to each other and I'm like, are we on drugs? Are like, are we high? Like, this is our life. Like, stuff happens, and it's. Well, I'm in that middle of real co- like I explained to her. I'm like, in the beginning, I was like, you know, you have the roller coaster. It's like, tick, 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 tick. You get to the top, and there's that moment right when you go over the edge, where you realize, oh, it's about to start. Yep. The brakes let go, and you're like, fuck it, Write ah, it out. Like, yeah. ah, and like that first feeling, that's where I'm at right now, and I'm like, and I, and she knows that. I'm like, dude, every, the people we meet you, Marcos, like all this other stuff that's been going on, it's just beautiful. It's magic. So during this whole time I was told my girl, I was like, I want to go back to, to visit San Diego. I don't know why. And, and I was working, my art was never very Hispanic or Chicano centric because when I was doing that stuff that I liked, I was trying to hook up with the, with the arts community the Hispanic like center in like Vegas and stuff like that. And they kept telling me, it's like your art isn't Hispanic enough. So I was like, ah, fuck it. I'm not a Hispanic artist, I'm just an artist, right? So I just kept doing me and like just moving forward. But I had an idea, I was like, look, my sign for my Aztec sign is Quetzalcoatl. So I was like, I'm gonna draw a little kid in like a little, Quesco, but I'm gonna do it in my style. Yeah. Like I'm not gonna stick to traditional, like, you know, what Chicano art is. Cause I, I mean, I grew up with it, you know, I sent art to like Loreto Arte Magazine, like all the time, like try to get in there at like the age of like 10. But I realized that now it's like, it's a mixture of all these things. I didn't want to be the norm anymore. So I, I did this little character, look, a Guatel serpent behind it. And I posted it online during that time, somebody tagged Marcos from POD on this <laughs> drawing that I did of Chester from, uh, from Lincoln Park. And uh, I guess Marcos saw it and Marcos liked it. And I was like, is that who I think it is? And I looked at, I was like, and I sent them a message. like, bro, I'm a huge fan, man. I'm like, he's like, yeah, I was friends with Chester, you know, blah, blah, blah. and we got to talking. He was on tour, you know, his last tour that he was in. And we were just talking almost every day. I'm like, I'm talking to that guy from POD. And I was like,
1: so excited. You and he guys went, are compas now, bro. Yeah, man. I was like,
0: so I, I told him, I was like, and again, all these things keep happening, all these beautiful things keep happening. And um, I, I told him, I was like, hey, man, um, I'm going to come back to San Diego, hang out. Uh, he was on tour. I was like, where should I go? And he was like, ah, oh, man, you got to go to Three Punk L's. He was like, that's a spot right there, man. I was like, oh, I definitely got to go check it out. So I told my girl, we're going to come down to San Diego. And we're going to do at Logan Heights. I want to introduce myself to every shop owner.
1: Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, I, you had a plan of attack.
0: Yeah. I was like, and I literally went to every shop with my girl. I shook everybody's hand. I'm like, hi, my name is Juan Muñiz. I was born in Tijuana. I was raised in San Diego. I live in Vegas. Now I'm an artist. I just want to introduce myself. Da, 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 da. We did that at every, every spot there. You know, and it was like, we, we got to this bookstore called uh, Libelula Books. And I met this amazing girl and her wife. They're like professors, like they're this the typical stereotype. And I mean this in the best way uh-huh. of like, they're like professor of Chicano studies and stuff like that, like in the Bay Area, move back down there because this is where our family's from, opened up this bookstore for the kids in the neighborhood. Like they come and they help and they clean and they watch their kids, so their parents get out of work. And I'm like, it's almost like a movie. Like, it's not even real. I'm like, holy crap. So I met them and I was like, and, uh, I told Marco and then with the ice cream shop that was down there, they had a gallery in the back and I was like, I'd love to do a little show here with you guys. And they're like, Oh yeah, that'd be great. And I told Marco, I was like, Hey, I want to do a print of you. And would you come down with me and sign it? And we'll give all the proceeds to that bookstore. And he was like, yeah, "Yeah, it's a little
1: fundraiser for the small business. So he's like, hell yeah,
0: of course, whatever you need. I was like, yeah. So I did the drawing and promoted and then like, you know, Beto from like Jammin uh, hit us up and we did a an interview and, and all that stuff. And I, I, it was crazy because I'm like, to me coming back to, especially a neighborhood like Logan Heights. Logan Heights is not just a, like a big thing for San Diego. It's for Chicanos and Mexicans, the history of us in the world. Like there's so much history there and i know that they don't just let anybody in you know because people try to gentrify them people try to you know steal from them they like you know there's this place called bodega that i found out they they lost a spot and i was like that was the cornerstone for everything and i was like to me the fact that i was allowed to come back in even though i don't live here and they accepted me like i was like man um it meant so much to me. So I was like, before we came for the show, I was dude. I just did LA comic Con, and comic con. I'm going nonstop. Like we, yeah. Week. Like just
1: scrolling down your, your social media, <laughs> your Instagram, man. Yeah. It's like, it, everything you're telling me is because
0: like, it's in the stories. The moment where I decided
1: to go in this direction,
0: like, and this is very recent. If you look at social media, um, like as a typical artist, I always wore black. Like I didn't really wear colors. I didn't want to stand out. I want people to see the art Never wanted to see me and i have two daughters so my youngest one she did my nails one time and i was like i was like man okay cool because i don't care i don't have a regular job so uh so then my girl the next day she was like hey um i know your nail like this is like weeks after i got my my nails done by my daughter she's like you ever want to go get a mani pedi and i'm like uh why it was like dude guys get mani pedis and i'm like all right fine i went so I got my toes done, I got my nails done, and I had a show coming I've up. I've done it. <laughs> well, I didn't realize that they massage your hands. And I'm like, as an artist, my hands are always hurting. So I was like, oh my God, this pampering, this self-care, this self-love thing is amazing. So I was like, so we do it like every few months. And then I was like, you know I'm an artist. Screw it, I'm gonna do co- bright colors because I my art's bright and colorful. Who's gonna say anything to me? I'm yeah, like, your style is very, very like, out there, very colorful and bright. Is, and- this is new too, dude. So what ended up happening was, So, you know, I'm a hip hop kid. So I'll wear like my Jordans or like my man's like, you know, and I'll wear my Wu-Tang hoodie or whatever. So Insomniac and EDC hires me to do murals for them. So we were doing Nocturnal Wonderland like a few months ago and uh, I was wearing Dickies. And, you know, brand new Dickies are like stiff, you know, they starched up. Oh, my God. So my girl goes down the hill. It's outdoors in this park festival thing. My girl goes down a hill, comes back. She was like, I'm like, what'd you buy? And she's like, oh, they, there's this booth. They had harem pants. I'm like, what are harem pants? They're like, they look like MC Hammer pants. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm trying to paint and the the pants, the Dickies were just hurting. And I was like, you know what? Screw this. Give me those pants. Like, I don't give a shit anymore. Bunch of raver kids, they're high on drugs. They don't care what I look like. So I put on the harem and pants and I'm like, damn, these are comfortable. <laughs> so then I just started wearing, I'm like, go down there and buy every set that they have. So she came back and I've been wearing harem pants every day. And I'm like, and one day I realized I'm like, I'm wearing like, I think it was like a Sesame street shirt with harem pants, Jordan ones. And like, I think it was like a tribal hat. And I was like, and my girl was like, there's a place where you could find glasses. Cause I'm blind as shit. She was like that. Cause I, my glasses were just like buddy Holly glasses. Like the typical ones. And it was like, and she's like, well, this place has glasses. They're 40 bucks or prescription. You can get every color on the rainbow. So I was like, fuck, get every color imaginable. So I started wearing these bright colors and just having fun because everything represented me. The shoes, you know, hip hop, the pants. It was like that. I love that EDM festival, peace, love, unity, like world that they live in. And then like my car, my nerd shirts, whether it be like marble or like hip hop stuff, like whatever. And then like my hats, because I love hats. And then, I re- and then people started giving me these braces like, oh, this one's for protection. This one's for that. And I was like, so at one point I was like, oh shit. Like I look like a cartoon character. <laughs> and I, re- I realized this two weeks ago when I was at LA Comic Con. I was like, I look and I'm, I, when I'm in my booth, like I'm playing music, but dude, I'll play everything. I will play from rancheras to hip hop, to metal, to like theme, the DuckTales theme song. And me and my girl are just jumping around like a bunch of dorks. And I realized I look and what I've learned when I started doing stuff for EDC is that people would start coming to our booth and be like, dude, the vibes around you are just amazing. Cause I told my girl one time, I was like, I, I if I want to be the like next Mr. Rogers, this thing about Mr. Rogers and all these people that just, when you're around them, that you feel better, you're, you're happier. I'm like, I just hope that one day I could ever, I'm able to reach that. And I was, and all of a sudden people are reaching out to me they're like, man, like just coming where you're painting or coming where your booth is at, like your guys' vibes is amazing and it's beautiful. And I'm like, and, and so that to me, I was like, this is me. So two weeks ago, you know, I gave you the sticker yeah. yesterday because this is how I see myself. This little cartoon character this is how I see myself every day.
1: I saw that on your Instagram. And I was like, like oh.
0: And people have never met me like right off the bat. They're like, dude, your vibes are awesome. I just want to make people smile. Doesn't matter. Like, so Marco's introduced me to this, uh, this country bar, at Gaslamp, right? And you know, being Mexican, looking the way that I do in that bar, I always do things to make people happy. And whether it be complimenting a guy or a girl, I don't care. Separating the gap because we need more union. The world teaches us to be divided. So last time we were there, like we did the show uh, this weekend. Um, we did the Posada at Logan Heights on Saturday. And then we stayed at the gas lamp. I got the kids pizza. They stayed at the room. We, you know, my 14-year-old like watching They were their were crash sleep. We went down to gas lamp and we were partying again um and we were just hanging out there's like these all these country boys met uh-huh. like you know military country boys there's a guy that had this shirt that like let's uh, let's go brandon you know like the whole Bi- like anti-biden thing me looking the way that i looked i looked at him i was like he's having fun with me and all this stuff i was like bro let's take a picture together i was and i told my girl i was like hey take a picture of us and my girl thought i was gonna like fight him or say something to him i was like nah it's about bringing us together so he's like opening up shirt. it says let's go brandon uh-huh. and i'm next to him i just point like ha you know just be my dorky self and i was like because how are you how are they gonna have a good like representation of a minority if everybody's like
1: fuck you broke Standoffish. Yeah. So yeah. I was like
0: so when I I decided to do the show in San Diego and I came in. I, I the day before we came, I, I told my boy, I was like, I don't know why, but I think we need to film this, dude. If it's not we make it like a little tiny documentary and if it's not for to, to promoting, and it's just gonna be for me and my kids. So I, this is the best idea I ever had because we came down here and uh, because some people that I met at conventions were like, hey, um, there's a mural being painted right now at Chicano Park. If you guys want to stop by and see it. I was like, are you kidding me? I, I fantasized about you just being there, or touching a wall there, like growing up. I was like, but my mom would let me go because like, it's too dangerous down there. So uh, <laughs> so we were we pulled up and we got to San Diego and first place we went was Chicano Park. And we went there and there was, uh, you could see the pillar that they're working on. And it's wrapped up in like tarp. And I hit up my my friend who was setting up this, like, you know, this thing, like, and I was like, Hey, where you at? He's like, Oh, he's like, Ah man, I'm in Tijuana still. I won't be there for like three hours. I was like, Oh man, and I was like, Oh very tight day today. He's like, just go introduce yourself. I'm like, oh, what dude, no? I was like, nah, dude, go introduce yourself. So I was like, oh, okay. So I was there with my friend tag, so he was recording it, my fiance. And then my manager, which she's amazing. She's this 50 year old German woman who's only been in the country for two years. She was this publishing company, basically made her my day-to-day person. And then she found out what I'm about. Next day she comes back. She like, I need to work for you. Heck yeah, so, bro. But she's never been experienced in any of this. So I'm dropping her. Like the first event we did was the middle of EDC. So she's like, what the hell is this? And then like Comic-Con and then San Diego and then introducing her to Marco. Is she so killing she it for like, you or oh what? Oh my God, she's amazing. All right, all right. But the reason I, I I hooked up with her was because the way that she looks at me, she believes me. She believes what I'm talking about and she believes that I'm for real. So not many people have looked at me and not be like, I'm going to make money off this guy. Is more of like, you, you're in a mission. And whether we're broke together or we're rich together, she's by my side. She's ride or die. So, you know, she has a 14 year old son, He's amazing. I love that kid. Her husband's amazing, and I was like, "We're family now. Like you got our back, we got yours." So, but she's like experiencing. So she's in Chicano Park. She's walking around. Chicano Park is pretty good, pretty safe, especially during the day. But I still told stole my girl. I was like, "Hey, keep an eye on her," because she's walking around with a camera, just fucking taking pictures. Uh-huh. So I go over there, and I'm like, and I see people working, and I'm like, kind of just wave like forrest gump in the boat just all stupid and like the guy was like hi i'm like oh so-and-so to come, come. and I, i'm an artist and and i showed him a picture of one of the paintings and that i brought for the show and he was like oh man that painting's cool i was like it's actually in the car right now he's like can i see it i was like yeah so we go down there pop the trunk he's like bro bro this thing's amazing oh my god bro you want to meet victor and i'm like who is it victor or Chuck? i was like dude i've read about this dude when i was in elementary school here like i i what He's like, yeah, he's painting right now. Iconic. Yeah. He's a legend. So I'm like, yeah, of course. I'm like, can, can they come with me? He's like, yeah, come. I was like, can we record this? He was like, yeah. So this is how we're starting our day. So we like go up like seven layers. I forgot how far it was. And they're painting the entire thing with 30 gallons of metallic gold flake. Mm. That's the base coat. So it's just amazing, right? it no, so, pop. So we're going up and when you go up scaffolding, like the higher you go up, the, the it moves, right? So I get up there and I'm like, they're walking all behind me. The dude's like, like showing me the way. And I was like, and I get there and I see the back of Victor and he's with his walking cane. He's airbrushing and he turns around. He looks at me and he starts swaying side to side. And I'm like, "Uh, what the hell? And he looks at me and he's like, it's a dance party. It's a dance party. (laughs) can't be up here. You're not dancing, mijo. And I'm like- Oh, my God. Fell in love with him right there. Put you then. at ease. Dude, it was like, we talked. I showed him my stuff. He's like, that's some good stuff, kid. And then the other guy was like, you want to go to the top? I was like, yes. So we climbed all the way to the top. I'm up there. I'm like touching the bottom of Coronado Bridge. And like my manager, she's like just recording everything. And I'm like, this doesn't happen. This doesn't happen to people that have lived here their entire life. This is a very, and I told my manager, I was like, you have no idea what this means. And I'm fighting tears. Even now, I'm fighting tears. And I'm just like this is how we're starting our day? What the hell? It doesn't get any better than this. So, you know, I told him, I was like, I'm having a show over here at the Neberia, And he was like, oh,
1: cool.
0: He's like, and we were talking, he we took a picture, he walked downstairs. And I was just like, holy oh, shit. We walked to Neveria, talked to them for a little bit. I was like, I want to take him to Salud because they've never been there. And I was like, I want to take him to Salud and like have lunch. And then I, because of Marcos, that he e introduced me to Herman from Tribal and stuff like that. And I hit up, when I was 16, when I was leaving Vegas to go over there, all my cholo homies were like, Oh, you got to get your San Diego tattoo, homie. You got to get your blackout before you leave to represent. I'm like, I'm not getting a backyard tattoo. Like, like I'm 60, dude. I was like, I'm not. Because they're like, Oh, we got to blast your stomach. I'm like, Nah, <laughs> screw that. So I don't have a San Diego tattoo. And I was like, When I end up Herman, because I actually got him tickets for him and his kids uh, to come to San Diego Comic Con, the one they had recently. I was like, Hey, I know you guys are probably really busy, but can't, is, is there a way to get tattooed? And he was like, so he moved some stuff around, talked to some guys and they were like, dude, they have a spot at two o'clock. My show is at four. I was like, screw it. We'll go. Let's go. So we did the thing. I knew I was going to get tattooed. So we, we met up with, with Victor, went to the thing, we ate. And all of a sudden I was like, I told my manager, and my girl, I was like, Hey, go back to the hotel. You guys get ready. Me and tags are going to go and get tattooed. Like I'm going to get tattooed. So I go there. They hooked me up with this amazing artist. His name is <laughs> Mr. Avocado man. And, uh, Dude, like, so i I've been in travel before. Last time when I came, and I was like, it was amazing, but I never went to the other side. And so, walking in, as we're walking in, like, tags is like recording behind me, and I see the the garage, and it's like as old as like like Impala. I think it's like a fifty nine Impala, just beautiful, just parked right there, and I'm like. <gasps> Yeah, he's got his shop, man. His yeah. auto shop right there in his warehouse yeah, and everything. He does. And I'm like, and that's where the tattoo shop is yeah. upstairs. So I was like, I look at my boy. I was like, boy, we got to record this shit. So we go upstairs, and I I got my little San Diego old school black. Very nice. There it is. Look wrist. at you, official. And you know, I got tattooed. I you know, we talked. He recorded the whole thing. We're leaving. I met you know Bobby Tribal's kids. They're awesome. And I was like, hey man, do you mind if I take a picture in front of the car? And he's like, yeah, dude, go ahead. Let's take a picture. Go back. Get dressed. We go to the show and we're in the show and marco's is like hey bro i'm on my way i'm like dude don't worry about it i'm signing prints i'm numbering them and all of a sudden you just feel the energy change in the room and i look up and look at the entrance here comes victor who was walking stick damn he took he, you up on your offer you he came and visited to the show not only did he come to visit he's walking in and he's like can i sit right there it was marco's chair, chair marco's is in there yet i'm like i ah, fuck it i don't care here <laughs> sit down so he sits down next to me he sat there for two and a half hours bro telling us the story of his life during my show and i don't give a rat's ass he's sitting next to me so he hung out we took pictures and everybody's loving me everybody's like you know they're like the ice cream shop owner is like everybody's like oh my god we love you thank you for coming over here one of the best things that happened too was um i was there and like people that i went to elementary school with like they were there i'm just ugly crying the whole night it's a beautiful night I go outside for a minute, and this, and I'm terrible with names, so it's like this one guy that I met, the one that introduced me, that set up the whole thing with with Victor, he introduced me. to this other guy, this other guy and he was like, hey, he runs like arts community or whatever here in San Diego, and I was like, oh, did you get to check out the show? He's like, no, not yet. It was this young cat, and I was like, oh, cool, check it out when you get a chance. He's like, yeah. Uh, I go back inside, he comes in, I was like, and he, it's a little gallery, it's a you know tiny as hell, and I was like, he comes in, and I was like, oh, this is the show. Thanks for coming, man. And he looks at me dead in the face, and he was like. Can I ask you a question? And I was like, yeah. Why are you here? And I'm like, what do you mean? Why are you here in Logan? Are you here just to exploit your brand and Mm. some money?
1: Yep. Because I was like,
0: I was like, what? And he's like, he called me out in the middle of my show in front of everybody. He wasn't saying, he wasn't being loud. He wasn't being disrespectful. Like he wasn't being dick. He was just like, but I understand why he did it. You know, like everybody else, like from his eyes, like, well, everybody else like drank the Kool-Aid. Everybody likes this little weird dude that's here, but he's not getting a, just a free pass with
1: me. No, you don't. And, and, and it shouldn't.
0: And it shouldn't. It really shouldn't. Um, You know, you, sh- you should stand up for your neighborhood because there's so many people that have come in and try to screw people out of it to this day. So he he was like, he's like, he's dead serious. He looks at me and I'm just like, and I, and I had to take a second and I took two steps back and everybody's talking amongst themselves. Nobody heard the question. And uh, I took two steps back and I looked at him, I was like loud enough for everybody to stop and turn. And I was like, you wanna know why I'm here? For an hour and a half, I was like, I just ranted on this dude straight to the face. And I was like, my family's from here. I was born in Tijuana. We crossed the border every day at three in the morning to go to this ghetto-ass school where I almost got shot and killed every day. My my little, my, my ghetto homegirls were there and they were like, yeah, like they they attest to everything. I was like, yeah, we, he, he Gompers, everything. So he was like, and I just unloaded. Not disrespectfully, but I told them passionately. I was like, why? For an hour. It felt like an hour. And I was like, and I just, at the end of it, I, I ended with like, so that, hope that answers your question why I'm here. So showing that it ended up walking. Well, he didn't say anything then. He, we were walking out of the little gallery and he like shakes my hand. He's like, man, thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. I needed to hear that. This neighborhood has got your back, you got your back, whatever you need. And I was like, cool. I'm like, I didn't want it to be that easy where I could just walk into this neighborhood. I knew it shouldn't have been.
1: And it isn't. And then you realized and you found out that so it isn't.
0: Here's the thing. Like, so we're hanging out at a party and we and we go down to the bar and that was time to party. Right. So, um. You know, it was just beautiful. Mark was like, hey, we're going to go downtown. There's something going on. I was like, yeah, I got to take my people, you know, cruise around here, hang out. Uh, then we're going to go to Three Punk <laughs> Uh So that was the, that was the thing. I was like, we were going to come here and hang out. And uh, all of a sudden, I was like, we're there and all my people are hanging out. And I was like, and I, they're, we're by salud because they wanted a beer. And I was like, um, they're sitting down and I told them all, I was like, because my, my girl asked, like, why did you go into that rant? And who was that guy? And I told them what he said to me and my girl and my friends being who they are, I was like, where the fuck is he? We're going to fuck him up. Right I now. Like call- hey, and I was like, hey. say no to violence, relax. Like, no. relax. I, like, I told him, was like, cause you know, they got my back and I was like, no, I'm like, I'm happy that he did what he did because not, a, I, when I finished that whole thing, I looked to my right and my boy was recording the entire thing. Nice. So Documented. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was, it was like, I didn't know he was, I mean, I knew he was recording, but I at that moment I was just tunnel vision. So we did the whole thing and then, you know, that, the rest of the night we were just partying, you know, it was beautiful. We were hanging out and all that stuff. I'm friends with the guy now. It's like, anything you got, you need, it's like, this block's got you. So my goal is to eventually come back and like, cause when they told me about, um, you know, La Bodega, And they're telling me, it's like, yeah, that was the spot. Everybody benefited from it, but that was the spot that everybody come from. And I was like, and I look over my manager and she was just like, gives me a look. She was like, I already know what the fuck you're thinking. And I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. Because you imagine, and not to sound like a douche, because I have no ego. Because my parents beat the hell out of that ego. Like you ain't shit, that kind of thing. So I have no ego. And but can you imagine this storyline? Like this kid from Tijuana to San Diego, moves to Vegas, goes through all this stuff, makes it as an artist. It is ba- his career is barely about to take off, but it's it's you know it's going in a direction. the trajectory is on the right everybody direction. Everybody sees it, everybody knows it. I'm I'm hooking up with you, I'm hooking up with the right people. Just ex- he got accepted in his old neighborhood, and he does this show. Meets the people that he meets. Victor like gives me the nod, like bro, you know you're part of this now. Approved, you know. And, you know, I do that whole speech. I do this whole thing. And imagine if that guy gets to come back and help the neighborhood by opening up a spot.
1: Damn, homie, did you just pitch a movie idea right now? Was that a part of that? Dude.
0: <laughs> so, no, I actually have a children's show too that I'm working on to pitch. And it was it's a mixture between uh, Mr. Rogers, Bob Ross, Sesame Street Blues, Clues with me as the host. And it's for kids. And it's something that we're working on right now. And it's like, I'm paying for everything myself. But now it's like, I kept falling in love with San Diego more and more that I already did. You're coming back, huh? Yeah. This is gonna be your, your home. So here's a, it's, it's always been my home, but it's like, so I have, a, I bought a house in Vegas. That was the craziest thing. Through my art, I was able to buy a house in the white side of town in Vegas. And uh, the relationship with my parents was still harsh. Like even this year, it was it was harsh. Like we didn't talk for, cause when I bought the house, I was so proud of myself. You know, I bought a house with just my art. And it's a nice house in the white part of town, you know, and my parents, they didn't give a shit. They didn't care. They didn't even offer to help me and it hurt. And I stopped talking to them for a long time, completely. And cause we didn't talk that much anyways, but it was completely, I stopped and I was like, and I, I had to go through a lot of meditation. I had to go through a lot of things and I realized I, I life is too short to hold anger you know, it's that mejitos. They don't change the way they think. No, and that's perfectly oh, yeah, fine. Yeah. But you know what? I don't have that much time in this world left with them. And whether to this day they still haven't actually said the words, we're proud of you. And I don't need them to.
1: Mm. Because I'm proud of myself and my kids. And that's all proud. that matters. I mean, if one thing COVID taught us is that. You know, yeah. like you just gotta realize so that everything has a beginning and an My it
0: kids know that I'm, you know, their dad's Mexican. They likes low riders. I have two low rider bikes. I have one low rider bike in the living room. It's my cocoa bike. My my homeboy and brushed it badass bike i made it for my niece because she loved that movie so she passed away so i have my cocoa bike that's the show bike so i have it there and like i have the other one that i ride and stuff like some I mean, huge disney freaks so i have a haunted mansion one too so my kids knew that but they're you know they live that life of like you know they never experienced this you know their mom yeah, comes from utah it's kind of a boring background in history like with them you know it's like but i wanted to be like look i want i'm falling in love with this town I'm, I like re falling in love with it I think the best thing to, cause then I got invited to do the pop-up here at three punk L's. And then I'll find out, I thought it was on Saturday. And then like Chicle was like, nah, dude, it's Sunday. And I was like, Oh my God, that's even perfect. Cause am on the Posada in Logan Heights. I want to take my kids to go experience it. Lowriders and the bookstore and just air all the beauty that's there. that we keep following. your culture that yeah. yeah. And I was like, because they don't have anything over in Vegas. Like that we could do this. Like we, you know, they go to my parents' house, all this other stuff. You know, they, they've experienced little things like that. There's a Day of the Dead festival, but it's kind of weak. Uh, and so I was like, dude, I got to take him down there. So I we drove down here. We got here um, the other day on Saturday. And when we first got here, before that we went to a hotel, I took him to my old neighborhood. I took him to Gompers. I took him to Lincoln, you know, to Green Cat Liquors. It's right in the corner. And I told him, was like, when I was a little kid, I would walk to Green Cat Liquor because our house was four houses down and with a pennies because I wanted a nutty bar. 25 cents. So the Middle Eastern dudes, every time they saw me coming in the store, they're like, ah, this kid again. Cause I would just drop pennies and I get my 90 bar and leave. So we went there to the neighborhood. I showed him the first house we was, which wasn't a house. It was, when we first moved to the United States, it was like somebody owned a garage that turned into one bedroom studio, kitchen, whatever for six people. That's where we lived. So I took them there. I was like, that's where all of us live. Abuelo, abuela, my, you know, tío, like, oh, we lived right there. And then we moved to this house. We literally moved around the corner. We had this house. It was another ghetto ass house. And then like this alleyway, this was my alleyway. This was the alleyway where I was like, I would tag and da, 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 da. And I showed them all that stuff. And I was like, look, we're very blessed. And I worked very hard. So you guys don't have to live like that. But I want you to know where you came from. Reality check for the kids. A huge reality check. Next thing was, I took them to the Gaslamp Hilton, like a Bayfront, and I like I upgraded the room and we got a pimp room, right? So I was like, that's where I came from, that's where I am now, and it was like, and they were just like, my kids are, you know, they're grateful, they're thankful. Right now, they're by the park where they're playing, and it was just like, and I took them to to Logan Heights, and they fell in love with it, and the neighborhood fell in love with them, and my little one she looks white as hell but she's the most mexican white kid ever and you know she's the she's the crazy like just awesome kid and then the other one's 14 years old and you know she's like the emo artist quiet like still personality she has a good personality but it's like she's very shy uh little one right off the bat you're like just a million they're a perfect representation of me like the like the oldest one is me the little one's me but they both got each side of me, so it's like they fell in love with it. They love Belmont Park and just taking them all around. And I was like, being able to show them that. And I'm like, I know I love my house in Vegas. I do, and it's amazing, and it's a lot
1: cheaper than here. <laughs> you know, I I, I have welcome back to San Diego, bro.
0: <laughs> but, but my girl knows. She was like, we're looking for whether it be a storefront or a gallery or whatever. We're trying to find something that I can that I can do and then because the plan is to keep the house in vegas and then when i'm like old and like about to retire which i'm never going to retire but like i need to have my my fantasy home my fantasy home is in la jolla like you know because that's where my brother and my sister used to work with so we would go pick them up in the bus and i'm like yeah this is where white people live so that's a fantasy home but i want i i want and need a spot for my soul in logan and it was just whether it be a big big ass spot. And it's not that I'm trying to replace Level ego or anything like that. But if the neighborhood needs that and I could provide that, I'm not there, man. I don't have a ton of money in my bank account. I don't care. I stopped caring about money a long time ago. And the moment that I stopped caring about money and started focusing on this journey, the bills were paid. And I didn't have to worry about it. You know, things would just happen where things. Are, so I don't, I don't care about creating a brand that's like, you know, my stuff is on the Hot topic and all that stuff. And the toys are nice and everything's fine. But that's not what it's about. It's about me getting the message out there. The day, uh, months, months ago, I bought a, a red cardigan, like a Mr. Rogers wore. And I posted a picture of it and, um, on, on, on all social medias. And I was like, I, I can't, I haven't worn this because I can't, I haven't earned it. You know, Mr. Rogers passed away, his wife passed away. There's no, I've never earned it. But the book Radical Kindness was written by Angela, Angela Santamaro. And she actually is also the creator of Blues Clues and Daniel Tiger. She was a protege of Mr. Rogers so i didn't know that and i wrote when i read the book I, I wrote on twitter i'm like damn angela like thank you so much for this book it's amazing she wrote me back this is a couple years ago and i she, and i started like i'm like dude i'd love to work with you I'll do something she was like legally because she works for like nick juniors and all that stuff she i can't submit anything to her so after years of me like bugging her and she's just looking at my stuff she was like She kind of started slipping me emails and stuff like that. um, I've never even emailed anybody that she told me about, but I I was just showing her like, I want to be a good helper because Mr. Rogers, one of the biggest things that he says was like when he was a little kid and he saw tragedies, his mom told him, I was like, look for the helpers. There's always helpers. Also, he said, there's three ways to succeed. One is to be kind, two is to be kind, three is to be kind. So... When the fact that Angela even knows I exist, I was like, man, that's that's insane. And I posted that picture. I was like, I don't, I I can't, like I haven't earned it yet. I don't know if I ever will. And I posted that thing and then I woke up the next day, looked at my phone, it was a Twitter message and I was like, oh, a Twitter post. And I'm like, I don't even have Twitter. Like, I mean, I have Twitter. I'm like, I don't ever get a lot of comments on it. And it was Angela. And she said, you have such an amazing heart you've earned to put on that sweater. But I still never wore it. And I wore it for that show with Marcos and I wore my sweater and I had like a hat that my friend made me. I had like sweater. I had my, my, my Jordans. I had like me, like my little, my character self. And I wore it. And I was like, I, till this day I just keep crying because it's so amazing and beautiful. A lot of things that happened that whole trip, like I can't believe it. And I was there. My girl can't believe it. And she was there. So we, I can't wait to, we can finish this little documentary and share it. And then, Earlier today, I actually, as I'm coming over here, there's another book that, that I really love and it was called uh, The Mr. Rogers Effect. And it's about, uh, and I've read it like dozen of times. And it's the, the fact that the world is so divided and so separated that that spirit of love and kindness, you know, everything that he does. So the, the person that wrote the book started following me on Instagram yesterday. And I sent them a message today. I was like, your book is amazing. So this is what she wrote me. She said, I love you. I love your photo of you and your cardigan. You bring kindness and beautiful art into the world. You have earned it. Mr. Rogers will be so proud of you.
1: Elvado. Man, it's awesome to hear your stories and just the whole transformation of you taking everything that's been put against you, yeah. all the negative, turning it into, put it into a little machine and watching what comes out on the other end. And on the other end is you.
0: It's product, I know I've been talking a lot because I, I mean, this is my first chance that I was able to share this story completely with somebody um and i don't want to take too much of your time and i know my kids want to go party but i i wrote a book um recently and it's called uh so the first book was called i'm not okay um and this book and it wasn't really a book it was mostly like just drawings i i wrote the other book about the panda and you know i love that book and and it's amazing and it was perfect for what it is but when I was talking to my my manager, I was like, we need to write a book for kids. I was like, you pick the theme. And it's like, got to be about mental health, whatever you want to do. So one time, I, I I my girl is at work. She's a nurse. And my kids are in school. I was like, I want to write a book Cause about the feeling of that, that blah feeling. I'm like, and I kept thinking, I was like, we all have that feeling when we wake up and we just feel like we're in a funk. We don't know why or how or where it comes from. As adults we either try to ignore it, we go to work, we work out, we drink, smoke, we, whatever. Like but we handle it or try to handle it or ignore it somehow. But kids, how are they going to handle it? Like how do they, how can they explain it? They don't even, they're trying to learn their their bodies, their feelings and emotions. They're kids. So, you know, if as a little kid you just feel like you're in a funk and you go to your parents and you're like, "I'm not a, I don't feel good." You know, people, the parents like physically like checking like their temperature. I'm like, "What's wrong?" Well, "I don't know. Are you sick? Do you want to throw up?" "No." Oh, well, go sit down or something, you know, that's so easy to just dismiss those feelings. So then the kid's like, well, I don't want to bother my parents, you know, so then they internalize it. So then they grow up to be an adult that internalizes their feelings. So my biggest thing in this that I've been pushing, because I'm actually on the board of directors for the National Alliance for Mental Illness. uh, And my biggest issue that I've had with all all of these foundations- That's an achievement in itself right there. man. Dude, that was a weird story. I'll tell you that one later. But uh, so- I kept thinking, I was like, why do we have to wait till we're in like 30s and 40s to get help or start thinking about mental health? Because I kept pushing and preaching about mental health before COVID. And I told my girl this, I was like, look, mark my words. After COVID, every mental health is gonna be in the mouths of everybody. And it is, you know, and it's in a, it's amazing and it's great, but it's also being used as a gimmick or a marketing technique. I'm, it's okay not to be okay. It starts getting used everywhere and it's starting to lose it. But I'm like, I've been saying that since day one. So I was like, imagine being a kid and you don't know how to feel. And it's like, like, I, I feel that kids should be taught at a very young age to how to handle their emotions and their feelings in a healthy way. But to respect for their feelings and their emotions as you would respect them as adults. You know, it's something that Mr. Rogers would really promote. So I wrote this book in two hours. I like you said, man, I, I really have no ego, but I cry and I get teary-eyed every time I read the book. And I wrote it and it's like, it's, it rhymes like a poem or it doesn't, I don't even remember anymore. But, uh, so I read it to my kids. I read it to my fiance together and then I read it to my manager the next day. She's crying. And then I read it to, I started reading to a bunch of different people. I went to New York Comic Con and read it to some hardcore ghetto killers, man. And as soon as I finished, one of them was like, where can I get the book? And I'm working on the illustrations right now. There's like 40 illustrations to go along with it. And I was like... Going in this message, like it's just that feeling of like, and the book's called "I'm Not Okay Today." Uh, so I wanted to read it to you again. it's Seven minutes long. Let's as, get it. You know, it's the last thing that I'm going to leave you with. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's from the perspective. So I've actually before I get into it real quick. So I read it to adults and like hardcore killers, and they're like, "This is amazing." Read to little kids, "This is amazing." So then I got asked. It was like by this teacher. It's like, "Hey, we're doing this thing at this opportunity school in Vegas. Like, these are the most like." underprivileged kids like impoverished like they it's not a good school and you could say no you don't have to come i'm like nah it's cool man i want it's like you're gonna be talking to a room of 200 13 to 17 year olds in a bad school and they're allowed to have their phones and you have to talk to them for an hour i was like she, okay so I get there and I'm talking about all the stuff and I'm telling the cool stuff like hey I work with Walkies, I've done stuff with the of phone. like, just to get their attention and then I started being just completely open and honest and I was just like I realized the kids aren't stupid they're actually very smart and they know when you're trying to push and sell something to them mm-hmm. so I was like you know what I'm just going to be open and honest just like I am with everybody and I by the time we got towards the end I knew what I was going to do and my manager knew what I was going to do and I was going to read the book to them and I told him, I said like, so by the time I got there, I was like, I wrote this book and it's about that feeling when you're just in a funk. And I actually have a pitch the way that I do it to where it's like, as soon as I start doing like my fiance and everybody else is like, I know what this fool is doing. So it was like, and I actually did it after the gallery show in San Diego on the street in front of the ice cream shop. So it was like, it was the idea. It was like, I, it always starts like this. I'm like, have you ever had a feeling where you're just like, you're just in a funk. You don't, you don't know why you're feeling a funk. And I like all the kids in high school are like, oh yeah. I was like, you know what? Let me tell you a secret. Adults feel like that too. We just lie better than you guys. It was like, we try to cover it up and all this stuff, but you know, it's, it's hard. So I wrote a book about that. And do you guys mind if I share it with you today? And the entire auditorium was like, "Yes, yeah, right. So I was like, okay, here it goes. I woke up this morning and I wasn't feeling okay. Don't really know what's wrong with me. It just feels like a strange kind of day. I wasn't sad. I wasn't mad. I just didn't know what to do or say. I don't like feelings that I don't understand. I just know that I don't feel okay. I was thinking and thinking, but it made me more scared. Should I tell my family and friends, and if I do, would they even care? I don't want to bother them or make them feel upset. Maybe if I ignore this feeling, it's something I will soon forget. Maybe if I don't think about it, it'll quickly go away. I just don't know what to do. I just know that I'm not okay today. Maybe if I start drawing or playing games or running real fast, this feeling won't be able to catch me because it surely cannot last. So I played and I ran and used all my imagination. I pretended to be a pirate. I was an astronaut. I was the king of my own happy nation. I was pretending to smile to be happy and joyful today. I did everything I could to forget that I don't feel okay. But it seems like no matter what I do, this blah feeling won't leave my side. So I get up and go to a place where I like to hide. I cried and I screamed till I ran out of things to say. I started thinking something's wrong with me. Why can't I just be okay? All my friends seem to be happy. They don't feel the way that I do. What have I done to deserve this? I just know that I'm feeling blue. I don't want the ones that love me to be disappointed in me because I'm not feeling okay. Should I just pretend to smile for others and just go about my day? Should I pretend to be happy? Should I pretend to be well? Should I continue to put on a show and hoping that others can't tell? Should I just hide forever so I don't make my friends upset? Should I go far away until one day about me they forget? I really don't know what to do to fix me or become better today. I just don't want to feel broken. I just want to feel okay. I feel like maybe this is it. I'm always going to be feeling like I'm in a slump. Maybe I'll pack my stuff and go live in the city dump. Live amongst all the things that are broken, the things that just don't matter. I'd rather be not okay alone so I don't make those around me sadder. I will live alone in this new home of trash, this dump where I get lost more and more every day. I will finally be in a place where it doesn't matter that I'm not okay today. And right at that moment... My closet door opened up, letting the bright sunlight shine upon my face. It was mommy and daddy. Where were you? We were looking for you all over the place. We looked for you in your room, in the backyard, in the kitchen, on the stairs. We looked for you everywhere. You had us both really scared. At that moment, daddy said, what's wrong, little one? You look really upset. What's bothering you today? With tears running down my cheeks, I said softly, I don't know, daddy. I just don't feel Okay. I try really hard to figure out what's wrong with me. I'm scared because I don't know what's going on inside. I just want to go far away and be not okay by myself and hide. I didn't want to bother you two. I don't even understand why this feeling is so overwhelming. It just makes me want to cry. What's wrong with me? Am I broken? Am I weird? Am I strange? Is there some? Is there a place I can? You can get a better child that's not as messed up as I am. Like a returning kid place where I could get exchanged. I'm sorry for feeling like this. I can't. I wish I could make it go away. I'm sorry. I'm not perfect. I'm sorry. I'm not okay closed my eyes and sadness overtook me with tears flowing like an open garden hose. And right when I felt that my sadness, I felt something come close. Daddy put both her arms around me while mommy held my hand. She wiped the tears from my face and said, I'm so proud of my little man. Proud? How can she be proud? I thought with confusion. Did she not hear what I said? I'm broken. Not okay. Something is wrong with my head. She looked at me with eyes full of grace. My father held me tighter with a smile upon his face. And he said, son, no one is perfect. We all have our good days and bad. Some days we feel happy. Some days we feel sad. Some days mad. Some days blah. No day is ever the same. Some days we all have feelings that we can't really explain. Just know that we love you and always work care, and never feel alone because for the ones that love you, you can always share. Mommy said, no matter the feeling, confusing or not, we will always be there for you because our love is what you got. Daddy said to me, We both feel like that from time to time. You're not broken. You're not strange. That's just not true. You're perfect the way that you are, and there's no better child than you. It's okay to feel feelings. You don't have to ignore them or pretend they aren't real. It's okay to laugh, to cry, to be proud of all that you feel. It's okay to share what's inside you. You really don't need to fear it. And those who care and love you, I guarantee you, we all want to hear it. Your feelings are valid. They matter. They're true. They're as unique and as special as the little boy we love so much, and that is you. So I held my parents close and finally felt like I can share my feelings and all that I have to say. But most important of it all, I learned that it's perfectly normal to not always
1: be okay. Juan Muñiz, bro. (laughs) That's awesome. That's that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm happy you stopped by and shared your story with me. I'm happy you let me. You know what? It's not very often where I'm lost at words. Like people tell you I don't shut up. But it's like, but it's like. Sometimes I just have to take a step back and listen. And you were just listening to your whole story, man. It, you, you wrapped it up in a nice little box. You put a little ribbon on it. And it's a Nino Bunny in a box, bro. Juan Muñiz, thank you for stopping thank by. You, where can we find your me. stuff? Where can we support you? Where can we do? Where can we follow your your journey? Honestly, uh, you know, NinoBunnyWorld.com.
0: That's my online store. I I have stuff in there. It's just me, my girl, and my kids. So like, we package everything. We ship everything out. I'm very, very active on like an Instagram. So at Nino Bunny, I had a dream this year. I was like, look, I had 11,000 followers this year, and I was like, if I could get 15,000 before the year ends, that that was my goal. I don't know if I'm actually gonna hit it because we're that close, but I'm pretty damn. I'm at 14,100 today. And I don't think we're gonna hit 15,000, 15, but it, that's okay. That's perfectly fine. That means that we we did reach a lot of people. So best thing you can do is just find me like at Nino Bunny on Instagram, and then from there you could just find me everywhere else.
1: Stay in touch with everything you're doing, man. I want to. Oh, I want to stay course. up to date with everything you're doing. Of it, course, it, man. Nah, you
0: guys. I told I tell you what I tell everybody this weekend. You guys messed up. You
1: accepted me and you let me be in. Now you guys are stuck with me. I ain't going nowhere, <laughs> man. We ain't going nowhere either, man. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you so much. I look much forward brother. to seeing everything you do, bro. Thank you so much, Ronald.